This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 193. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lombromayasha. And today we have yet another Simulpose Roundup for you. We are talking about the latest new series to debut on Shonen Jump and Kamiki, as well as a new title from Kadansha from Blood Lad Octor Yuki Kadama. So, a nice collection of new titles to talk about today. And in addition to that, we also have a ton of anime and adaptation-related news to discuss. So there's been a lot of such news recently that we got to go over, so it's going to be a pretty fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, we definitely do have a lot of stuff to talk about and a lot of news to get to as well, actually. Not too much, but a, a lot of news that we didn't really have time to go over in our last news episode because uh, we went over time and we had just way too much stuff to talk about, like always. But before we even get to that, I'll try to make this quick. But in the time since we recorded our last episode, uh, we did get an, a, another new patron which is really cool on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. So big shout out to the count MC for signing up for our Patreon, basically right after both Patrick and uh, Corito prime did as well. And yeah, you know, Hey, once again, uh, to the count MC in particular, thank you so much uh, for signing up for our Patreon. Uh, I think in particular, they added us on Twitter and told us that they signed up for a Patreon specifically to hear us talk about Kohei Orokoshi's original My Hero one-shot after listening to our Barrage episode, which is really cool. Yeah, it's very nice. Glad they were enjoying those episodes and glad to have them support us. It's really kind of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, I, I hope you'll enjoy our other bonus podcast on our Patreon too. We um, we talk about it a lot, but we have a lot of a uh, lot of really cool extra podcasts that uh, I think people are missing out on if they don't sign up for the Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And um, I'll make this quick too. I just want to like give a huge shout out to all of our patrons in general because um, and I, I kind of alluded to this on our last episode, but um, over the past couple of weeks, I've had a lot of laptop trouble. I don't remember when it started, but um, so my laptop basically, because, uh, you know, it's it, it's always been like kind of slow and whatnot. I've had it for a few years now at this point, so it's not exactly, you know, new or whatever. But, um, you know, there was just a point where like it took so long to get anything done on my laptop and it was basically stuck in update hell for a couple of weeks because I think... Um, I think part of the reason was due to the fact that I, I think I was trying to go from Windows 10 to Windows 11 which I think might have had something to do with it, like it was getting ready for a big update. So um, hopefully our listeners didn't notice, but it took me a little longer than normal to get any kind of editing done on my end, which really made me feel terrible. Um, But, you know, I I couldn't help it. These things happen. But after we recorded like one of our upcoming podcasts, basically my computer just went kaput and basically did that thing where it was stuck in reboot hell where it kept trying to like fix itself and it just wasn't doing it. Um, so I had to take it in and get it fixed. And I got my operating system all fixed up and replaced. Uh, I even opted for data backup. So that way I wouldn't lose any of the audio that I have saved up here for, again, all of our upcoming podcasts that we still have to release soon. Um, so that's good. No- nothing was lost there. So we don't have to re-record anything, which is great. But it did cost me a, a fair bit uh, to get my laptop sort of fixed and everything, along with getting a new uh, two terabyte hard drive to basically help back up all my audio. So that way we will never, ever, 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 ever 
uh, have to risk me accidentally deleting audio for one of our podcasts. So we'll never have to worry about that again, thankfully. So the point I'm trying to get to here is that um, I had enough saved up where I could like pay for most of it. Um, but, you know, it's really thanks to our patrons and, you know, the money that we've kind of saved up on our Patreon over the past few months that I was able to pay off all of my repair costs. So really, without you guys, I don't know if I would have been able to pay fully for my repaired laptop. So seriously, huge thank you to you guys for your support, because without it, we wouldn't have the extra money to help pay for, you know, sudden emergency repairs like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, your guys' patronage really does help us out in pinches like that in covering material costs and site costs. And that's really what our patron funds have been used for pretty much all the way up until this point. We have just enough for emergencies like this or, you know, making donations or contributions as we've done before. So, yeah, like this was a such example of like how your patronage can really help us out and help keep the show uh, going. And just, you know, it is something that we just truly appreciate. It really, really, really is of such great help to us more than words can really even describe. No, seriously. I mean, you know, I know sometimes in the past when I've talked about uh, our Patreon and everything and, uh, you know, how we have used patron funds to help, like, you know, buy series that we talk about. Like, I promise our Patreon money isn't, like, just for buying manga. Like, uh, like I said, you know, like, our Patreon is a great thing to have because, you know, like we've been saying, you know, it, it really helps to have that extra cushion for when stuff like that happens. So, you know, I, I promise that not just manga for the show, but your whatever money you give us, it helps us keep the show afloat. Because seriously, without without that extra cushion, it is really hard to get through some of those like surprise emergencies. So seriously, thank you guys so much for your support. Yeah, no, I mean, most of the money that you guys patron really do just go back into the site and podcast. It pays for our hosting costs, it pays for the website costs, and it pays for, again, these emergency material costs like this. We really don't use it that much uh, to buy manga or other things. It really is just going back to the production of the show. Mm-hmm. Not as often as I would like. I would, I would love to have extra money just to buy manga for the show, but... You know, unfortunately, we there are other things we do need to pay for. And that, honestly, that, that's the most important thing. Being able to buy manga for the show at any point is just a bonus, really. That's that's not the main point of the Patreon. As much as I would love extra money to buy manga, because I do have to buy a manga for the show pretty frequently. But, you know, again, it does, it does help to have this extra cushion for other even more important stuff uh, as far as the show goes, you know. Absolutely. Um, but again, you know, if you want to be able to help support us in any way you can here, again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We can't say it enough and we're going to keep repeating ourselves, but your support really does help. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I forgot to mention it earlier, you know, if you want a shout out on the show, just like the Count MC, you only have to sign up for a Patreon for as low as a dollar. Even an extra dollar really helps us. So when you sign up for even as low as a dollar... At patreon.com slash manga mavericks, you will get a shout out on the show and just our eternal gratitude in general. So, yeah, if you can, we appreciate the support. And yeah, that's all we can say. But um, I think for now, we should get on to our news first before we get into the Simul Pubs. Lum, if you want to go ahead and take us away. Yeah. So, like we mentioned at the top of the show, most of the news we're going to be talking about is mainly anime and adaptation related. However, there are some serialization news bits that we felt were appropriate to talk about on this show since they're pretty relevant to simulpubs 
The first of these is a series that has been available as of recently on Manga Plus, and that's Takapi's Original Sin, which started in Jump Plus in December and was added to Manga Plus just a few weeks ago at the end of February. And the reason we're not going to be talking about the series on the Simulpods Roundup, despite it being a recently added Simulpod, is because the series is actually coming to an end. By the time you are listening to this podcast, the series will have already ended in Jump Plus for its 15th chapter, presumably. And Manga Plus is, as of this recording, on the 11th chapter. So with the series so close to ending and only a few chapters left to come out in English, we felt that it would be better at this point to just wait for it to end and then dedicate an episode to it at some point in the future. Since, I mean, we're so close to it in the series that having a discussion about it now before the ending feels a little premature. It feels like, yeah, if we wait another month, we could just do a proper full series discussion on it. So might as well wait until then. Now, I have been keeping up with the series, and I do enjoy it. It is a very dark series dealing with heavy subject matter of bullying, abuse, and suicide, which, you know, might be betrayed by the fact that, oh, the cover image, you know, the mascot character is this cute little pink octopi alien. Don't let the appearances deceive you. It is quite a dark story. It's, I wouldn't say it, you know, is swimming in nihilism Like, it has a point to exploring this very difficult situation that the heroine is in and this alien creature's attempts to help her without really understanding humans and understanding how the situation is actually going about and how to actually interact things. So oftentimes, actually making things worse and having this reset button to try again, but, you know failing in different ways each time and things often getting worse than before. However, I was surprised that the series was coming to an end so soon. Apparently, though, it is coming to a natural end, like it was always planned to be just a short miniseries. And I can sort of see that based on the direction it's taken as of the most recently available chapter on Monk Plus, where Takubi has figured out kind of a new direction in order to help Shizuku than previous attempts that might have a more promising result. So yeah, like... I can see where it's going in terms of how it would head into occlusion. And hopefully it has a cathartic and healing one for the characters. You know, not a dark ending, but like one that is a little more hopeful and leaves the characters in a better place. Which is what I think I would definitely like to see after a story that like puts, you know, it's very young characters through a lot of suffering. So... I have been enjoying it and appreciating it. It will certainly most likely give it a proper discussion at some time in the future once it is all out. Mm-hmm. No, I, I've been hearing a lot of buzz about this series in particular, even before it came over to Manga Plus. So, you know, I was always interested in like checking this out. And uh, I, I didn't know this was meant to be like a shorter serial. So like, I had no idea how close it was coming to an end. So you know, I, I was even kind of looking forward to covering it on this episode. But again, it, it really wouldn't make sense to talk about it until it ends because we're so close to the ending, seemingly. So um, hopefully when we can find the time, you know, I would love to sit down and read this and, and talk about it on the show because it, it seems like a really great series. Yeah, you know, it's a very tough to read series, but I think it has a point to it and it really is going to come down to the ending and where it lands in terms of where it leads to characters but i think or at least i'm hopeful that it'll end on a very promising hopeful and optimistic note for them so i am definitely keen to read through to the ending 
And then the other bit of serialization news that we just wanted to bring out is that we are getting a new One Piece cover chapter, a new interpretation of a classic One Piece chapter by an artist. And it's Boichi again. He's having a second round at it, covering chapter 411 of One Piece, Nami vs. Kalifa, which I suppose, you know, it'll, it'll give him a chance to draw Chopper's monster form and then sexy women fighting, which I guess those are things Boichi is totally in his interest and we allow us to want to draw. So it's, it's a somewhat of a, you know, when I think about, oh, iconic chapters in One Piece, I don't necessarily think of that chapter. So, you know, the fight is pretty decent but hey you know i think it'll be interesting to read it in boy g style mm-hmm. no i mean you know i agree it's not a it's not necessarily like the most iconic chapter of one piece ever like it's it that's definitely not one i i think of when i think iconic but it's it's at least like an interesting choice it's not like yeah it's it's not like a chapter i immediately thought like oh man i would love to see someone's take on this like i don't know it's it's an interesting choice at least so i would i would love to read this if it's ever available somewhere Maybe hopefully Shonen Jump picks it up. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Shonen Jump. They did the last two. Is very likely they'll do this one. I guess that's true, but I also wasn't sure what the rights for that would look like because this is running in like one of those One Piece magazines and not Shonen Jump. So I don't know if there's like a difference in rights there, but I I don't know that for sure. Yeah, I wonder, but I'm I'm pretty sure we'll see it in English. I have a good feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll definitely check it out. And we'll probably talk about it on one of our next Savile Pubs episodes if it does get picked up. So, Indeed. Now that does bring us to our anime-related news. And before we get into like some film-related stuff specifically, there is a dub announcement that I found interesting that I want to bring up. It's that Toei is dubbing the recent Digimon Adventure colon reboot series that came out a few years ago, but they're not bringing back the original cast of Digimon Adventure, or most of the original cast, who were up to return in Digimon Tri. And it seems like the cast is going to be completely rehauled. But they cast some cool new leads uh, for Taichi and Agumon. Zena Robinson's going to be being Taichi, and Ben Diskin's going to be playing Agumon. So, hearing samples of their performance, you know, sounded good. And Zeno, in particular, is one of the best actors on the scene right now, so definitely, definitely keen to hear how their performance is going to be. Apparently, the original actors, uh, the previous actors, were informed ahead of time that they would not be asked to reprise their roles. So, you know, I feel a little disappointed for them. But, you know, I'm also interested in seeing new performances take some of the characters as well. But I do feel it's kind of unfortunate that the actors that had been doing these characters for two decades that would still be up to do it, I'm sure, again, just were flat out ass not their turn. And I have a feeling that it's probably a money reason. So that leaves a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But again, you know, good actors to performances and work I really love. So I am keen to hear this. Uh, though, I, you know, I probably only watch a little bit of the select episodes of the show. Since overall, uh, as many Digimon fans will tell you, the Adventure Reboot series wasn't the best. Uh, very inconsistent in plotting and characterization. But, you know, it was just interesting to me that they are recasting like these characters who have generally had a consistent uh, casting, even in the Digimon Tri series. Man, one day Digimon is a thing I definitely need to like revisit because I, I definitely haven't touched it in like probably a decade. <laughs> Well, something that is being retouched after a long time, after kind of being in a licensing limbo for a while, is Shinkai's filmography, Makoto Shinkai's filmography. Basically, all his films that aren't your name have been picked up by G-Kids for home video release later this year. 
And yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of these were originally like ADV or Bandai Entertainment licenses that, you know, of course, last when those companies kind of folded. And, you know, Discotech had five centimeters uh, for a while and Sentai had children's Who Chased Lost Voices. But I guess those rights have also lapsed. And now they're all going to G-Kids, which, you know, they have veteran for you. So they have the bulk of his filmography now your name being in funny's hands is like the only one they don't so very very interesting but yeah i mean i'd be keen if they would give these films like a theatrical re-release screening as they are want to do with like the ghibli films or when they relicense cones films they put them in theaters again i would like to see uh, these in theaters but you know it'd also be nice just to have new home video releases mm-hmm it also would be nice if these ended up on HBO Max, possibly. Yeah, I'm sure that they'll have it on streaming, whether it be HBO Max or Netflix or whoever they make the deal with. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure it is likely to see these on streaming. Now, speaking of GE Kids film licenses, they are releasing one of my favorite anime films of last year and films in general last year. Pompo the Cinephile is going to be coming to theaters in April 27th. Both dub and sub there'll be select screenings 27 28 there'll be a wider release starting on the 29th in select theaters so yeah i am very excited to see this in theaters again and see the double the film especially you know this was a great experience watching it at anime nyc you know we watched this and bell back to back and Everyone I watched it was in agreement. Like Pompo was like the like better film. It was like really really fun to watch. You know, great inventive direction and editing, storytelling. You know, just just a delight. So I am very keen to revisit it in theaters when it comes out. I listened to your guys' thoughts on Pompo on on your guys' like Anime NYC pod, and yeah, it it sounded like a really cool time. I, I definitely want to check this out. Absolutely recommend it to everyone interested because it is a really excellently made film. Now, another film that's coming out in the next couple months is a film that we've been anticipating for a long, long time. We've got a lot of new details about. Yeah, so basically just an update on uh, Dragon Ball Super uh, Superhero. Uh, so we don't have a, like an exact date yet, but it looks like Toei is aiming to uh, have this film release in North America this summer. Uh, so whether that means it'll be like a June release, July, maybe even August, we don't really know for sure yet, but we know for sure now that it is coming to North American theaters. Uh, so I'm very, very excited. I really desperately want to see this movie. Okay, so I definitely need to interrupt the show for a little bit to kind of provide a bit of an update as far as the release date of Dragon Ball Super Superheroes goes. Um, so it will not be coming out this April in Japan anymore due to the uh, big Toei animation hack, which I'm sure we'll probably talk more about that on our next news episode. But basically, since we recorded this episode and all that happened, not just Dragon Ball Super Superheroes, but a lot of Toei's anime properties like, you know, One Piece and Dragon Quest and whatnot are being delayed due to this. So uh, because of the delay in Japan, uh, this definitely means that uh, the release of said film will be delayed, you know, stateside. So, you know, what was already a very vague, like, release window is probably going to stay pretty vague, at least until this is all figured out and Toei figures out a new date to have the movie come out in Japan. But obviously, we'll keep you guys up to date when we have like a specific North American release date. And so, yeah, just wanted to come in and uh, let you guys know what was going on because this news is sort of outdated at this point. But uh, 
yeah, back to the show. Especially with some of the new trailers and like key art that's been coming out for this movie, I'm I'm especially excited for it now. Yeah, like the new trailers and key art have shown off that there's going to be a lot of emphasis on Piccolo and go on his own. And in particular, Piccolo looks to have a new form in which his skin color gets a little more of a, a golden green hue, which is kind of interesting to, you know, give Piccolo a new sort of transformation. Really, it's like kind of a palace swap. But, you know, hey, more prowess for Piccolo in battle. That's cool. And of course, the big anticipated thing for years has happened and we're finally getting more aged up designs for go. Goten and Trunks looking closer to their teenage forms at the end of Z after being in like child form limbo for most of the Dragon Ball Super, even though they should have like <laughs> in between preaching form. And <laughs> it was very strange that they just still look like eight-year-olds and they were supposed to be 13. Now I'm wondering if Marin will also finally be aged up because she also should be, but we have not seen her new character design yet. And yeah, I mean, also, we've had more explicit confirmation that Broly is in the film as Sarge, and Lemo. So I'll be curious to see, like, what world they will play in the film, since a lot of it seems to be on Earth with Gohan and Piccolo fighting the Gammas in the new Red Ribbon Army. So uh, maybe my prediction is just that, like, we are just going to, like, see them as a cameo, like, check-in of, like, oh, here's yeah. Goku and Vegeta sparring with Broly on uh, the Vampa. And, you know, that's they're, they're off doing that. And they're kind of removed from most of the movie from this Red Ribbon Army gamma plot. I think the cool thing would be if they don't actually ever uh, help the situation on Earth. <laughs> if they just leave it up to go on a piccolo, you know, and that'd be kind of nice to have a Dragon movie where like the hero is not Goku and Vegeta again for the first time since bio broly like really the only times where the period between when goku is that between like bojack uh to broly second coming to bio broly so yeah that'd be kind of interesting to do again but we'll, we'll see no i was gonna say yeah pull pull a bio broly like rewatching that film for my guest spot on we got a podcast you should go listen to that by the way um you know i've realized that i i like bio broly way more than i remembered because yeah that was one of the few movies where like goku does not play a role in that movie and literally only has like an end stinger or whatever yeah. at the end of the movie where he has to like go fight broly in hell and like i'd be totally up for that uh seeing that in like a modern dragon ball film i'm sure like other dragon ball fans will like hate it for some reason because we have to have goku on screen otherwise it's not a real dragon ball movie but i'm all for it if that's going to be the case yeah i mean i wonder i think a lot of people have been pulling for hey give gohan more to do so maybe this will satisfy that crowd if they go this direction so this this will be the compromise <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean i am definitely keen to watch it like it looks like a lot of fun and I am assuming, based on the turnaround between Broly's Japanese release and English release, we'll see it within a month to six weeks after the Japanese debut in April. So I am expecting late May, early June. I'm kind of expecting them to strategize the release to not have to compete too closely with other blockbusters. So definitely you want to want to release it close to when Doctor Strange comes out. And before Lightyear comes out. So I'm sure we'll find a middle ground between them, I would expect. So, yeah. Now, other franchise anime films that will probably come to theaters uh, later this year, or I would hope, would be a new Prince of Tennis movie, Ryoma, Prince of Tennis, the new 3D CG film that opened last fall in Japan. Eleven Arts has licensed it, and they said that they're going to have like more information and ticket sales up for it at a later date. So, 
I, you know, I would be interested in checking this out in theaters. You know, there'll probably be a limited release. Hopefully I can get to a screening of it wherever I am. But hey, I mean, it looks ridiculous in the way that <laughs> Prince of the Tennis is. I don't know if it'll be good. I don't necessarily expect like good, good from Prince of Tennis, but I expect a, you know, fun, like silly time. It'll be entertaining probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't interacted much with Prince of Tennis in like a very long time. So like I am debating whether I should just go into this cold. I don't know. The The idea of that does sound pretty fun because I, I definitely know if I try to go into this without, you know, reading anything because I do want to get to the manga eventually and maybe even talk about it on the show. That That's another big pipe dream of mine. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The idea of going into this cold sounds both fun and really confusing. I really like being confused sometimes and trying to piece together what's going on. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll try to go see it if if it really piques my interest and I have the time. Yeah, especially if they played both versions, because this film had two different versions that focus on like different supporting characters involved in the film. Oh, OK. So... Yeah, I wonder if Eleven Arts will screen both those versions. And if, like, I would even have the ability, if they get screened, to figure out and attend both of those versions to see what the differences are. But yeah, you know, one track you get Tezka and the other track you get Keiko Tobe. So which uh, which one do you choose? Which track characters you want to focus on? Uh, you decide. <laughs> A Prince of Tennis Choose Your Own Adventure movie? I actually weirdly really love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more like choose your own screening, which version you want to watch. You know, they've there's films that have done this before. Pokemon's first uh, black and white movie, uh, the first black and white series movie, like the Victini one. Like there's a version where, you know, Reshiram is like the main legendary in the film. There's okay. the other, another version of it is uh, Zekrom. So and there's some differences in like who the villain is and what Pokemon they use in that film too in those two different versions of the film so it's kind of like that it's like there's a lot of the base film is the same but you swap out different characters uh, and have some different scenes in to kind of meet those characters so it's an interesting approach it's a rarely done approach but you know they chose to do it for this probably to cater to the fact that these particular characters have a big fans but you know might be too much to have pull them together i guess so it's interesting i mean the premise of the film is wild because it's about ryuma like being thrown back in time uh to the heyday of his grandfather his father playing in america's you know it's, it's already a bizarre film uh in terms of that concept in terms of the time travel aspect which is you know considering the places prince of tennis goes to honestly not that uh bizarre uh, considering stuff this franchise has pulled before as ostensibly a tennis <laughs> sports manga. I know we've explained the premise of this before because we have reported on this movie before when um, when it was announced in Japan. But like every time I hear the premise, you just can't not laugh at it. It's it's not it. How, how do you how, how are you not at least a little interested in seeing this movie? Mm hmm. God. Now, there are some other films that we know are going to come out for North American release in the near future. Now, this next one's a few years away, and that's the new Lord of the Rings anime film, The War of the Rorum, that's going to be directed by Kenji Kamiyama and produced by Warner Brothers New Line. And this actually is going to come out in theaters. It's a like traditionally animated Lord of the Rings film that's going to come out on April 12th, 2024, like executive uh, produced by Jason and Marco. It's interesting. To have like a Lord of the Rings anime film, basically kind of a, a prequel to Lord of the Rings about like a big legendary about the help shape Miller, you know, so the story of the Helm's Deep and whatnot. 
No, yeah, it seems pretty cool. Like some good names attached to it. I think it's promising. And, you know, I am definitely, uh, you know, just keen to have like a big budget, like traditional animated film uh, out in theaters, which is kind of a rare occasion for the North American animation industry uh, these days. So pretty cool. Now, other like Hollywood produced adaptations of anime properties uh, have been announced, but the main one being this new Hollywood adaptation of Blade Blade uh, by Jerry Bruckheimer. The guy who produced Pirates of the Caribbean, National Treasure, and Top Gun is now working with Paramount to produce a live-action Blade film with Nick Widener and Gavin James writing the script. And yeah, I mean, bay, 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 let it rip. Like, I have uh, some fond memories of watching the show back in the day. And it's kind of crazy that, oh, wow, it's been 20 years since the first uh, English localization of Beyblade. Man, that sure brings me back. But, you know, uh, live-action Beyblade film is in development. And it's going to be curious to see how it's going to turn out. God. um, Man, yeah, when I saw this, I couldn't really believe it. Um, See, this, this is another one of those films where I have to see it just on its novelty alone. Also, I just want to point out, you did scare me for a second because I didn't have the article open when you were talking about it. So when you said Gavin James, I heard Kevin James and I was like, I I did get a little scared for a second that <laughs> Kevin James was writing the live action Bayplay movie. <laughs> oh, that actually that actually did make my heart drop a little bit. So I, I'm glad I just misheard you. Baby, it's from Paul Blart. Now that'd be interesting. <laughs> See, I hate it because I I would see it. I would actually pay money to see that. Yeah, it it sounds like a funny uh, satire or parody of Beyblade. I mean, it's already ridiculous enough, but like just add like an oafish character like that, the make it even more ridiculous. Oh boy, Beyblade from Happy Madison Productions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. I have not kept up with, like, recent Beyblade series, but, you know, they're continuing to make in them. They're continuing to be available on Disney XD and Disney channels. So I've seen snippets of them time to time and uh, show, you know, it seems to have gone in different directions, kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh! sequels uh, shows from the original. But, you know, core concept is the same. You got these spinning tops that kind of have like creatures infused inside that you fight, but you know, it's like a fun premise. I think it can work in live action pretty easily, like even more so than something like Pokemon. So yeah, I'm curious to see how it will turn out. But this isn't the only live action adaptation of an anime franchise has been announced recently because after many years uh, to commemorate, I suppose, or part of a series of projects, and stuff that was doing done to celebrate the 20th anniversary of FMA, it was announced recently that the series is getting two new live-action film sequels to the previous one that opened many years ago. And the trailers and stuff really emphasize Scar, but based on the title, with the fact Final Chapter is in there, it seems like they are going to basically try and adapt the rest of the manga in these two films which is interesting. And I wonder if they're going to take like some uh, adaptation liberties to like streamline some elements of it. 
But, you know, a lot of characters have been casted like Ling and Lanfon and Poenheim and even Olivier. So a lot of characters are going to be showing up in this. Now, of course, the previous FMA live action film was not great. I don't think either of us enjoyed it very much. Uh, nope. The trailer of this <laughs> looks, you know, there's some decent moments. But it's really going to all depend on like how the actual storytelling is, uh, which I mean, you know, the appearances, the characters, you know, it doesn't look great on that level but like also it's just like the way the film was shot and how it's based in the story that was like what really kills it so you know uh we'll see how these turn out i'm sure netflix will pick it up since they have a license to the previous one and if nothing but morbid curiosity and interest in seeing how this turns out and how they choose to adapt the rest of the story for a live action medium i, I just want to put on the record that Admittedly, when the first movie came out on Netflix, I legitimately tried to give it a chance. I think I got 40 minutes in until I realized, man, this is some of the most boring stuff I've ever seen. Oh, so you didn't watch it all the way through even. I couldn't make it through. I, mm. I hate stopping movies in the middle, but I was just like, I was just so bored. I just, I couldn't help it. Yeah, not a very strong adaptation of an anime. Definitely one of the weaker ones, uh, creatively and in execution. Now, uh, we're going to move on to some projects that haven't been announced for localization yet. Some stray more film projects, but, you know, are ones that I'm still very much excited for. Look forward to the first of which being the Black Clover movie. We've gotten confirmation that's going to come out in 2023. Got a new trailer that looks pretty nice. And we still don't really have that many plot details and things like that for it. But, you know. I am definitely keen to watch it when it comes out. I'm sure that it will get a release here when it is out. So, you know, been enjoying Black Clover a lot lately. Definitely curious to see what kind of direction the movie story will take. And also, it's a good time to celebrate Black Clover. It's been a good year for the series as it is like approached its seventh anniversary and now has its sixth popularity poll up that you can vote for. Actually, at the time of this recording, the poll has only just kind of gone up and the voting this hasn't started quite yet, but the voting period will be out live and you'll be able to vote by the time you're listening to this. And the voting will go until the end of April, April 30th, basically is when it ends. So yeah, vote for your favorite characters and we'll see this year who ends up on top. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm a little disappointed because I literally saw that you added this news like a few minutes ago. And I clicked on the popularity poll link and I was like, oh, I get to vote. And I saw voting wasn't open yet. But that might be that might be a good thing. Because literally, while you were talking, I was trying to decide who to vote for. And I'm like, oh, I don't know who to vote for. Because like, I thought about voting for Yami. And I might end up voting for him. But then I'm like, no, but I actually really like Noelle now. I, she's really won me over over the past couple years. So, I'm, but then it's like, oh, but she she came in first already. So I kind of want to vote for somebody. I don't know. I I might have to like decide off mic and like let people know who I voted for when we eventually talk about the polling results. But I don't know. I can't help it. I gotta vote for my guy Yami. I love him. I love him too much. Yeah, he's got a really nice return in the story recently in terms of being involved in the latest fight. So, you know, got some cool moments to justify, you know, giving him some more support. Now, I think, yeah, in deciding and evaluating who I want to vote for, like, Noelle is my favorite character in Black Clover. But in terms of, like, who I think has been really strong recently... You know, it's hard. I feel like Asta has had the best character moments, but as the main character, I know he's going to get votes, so I don't necessarily, we don't want, I want to vote for more of a side secondary character. So I'm leaning more towards Noct, I think, who has also had some really strong character moments uh, recently. 
So I guess that's where I am leaning right now. And we'll we'll see. I mean, you can vote pretty much every day of this polling period. So, you know, you can vote for a lot of different characters uh, over the course of this. Mm, okay, that makes my choice a little easier because I was going to say my third my third pick would have been Magna, I think. Yeah, I mean, Magna, of course, had his really amazing character moment last year, too. So, I mean, there's been a lot There's a lot of great characters in the Black Clover and a lot of reasons you can give, like, man, this is a character I want to support behind. And it'll be interesting to see this year, like, who does end up on top. And, yeah, definitely go check that out and uh, look out for the results when I'm sure it'll come out a few months after this poll closes. But to return to film-related news, they got some more updates on the Kukuru's Doan Gundam film. Of course, the adaptation of the manga that re-explores and adds context to, like, the infamous anime episode uh, that is is never going to be seen again because... Infamously, it was pretty poorly animated. Tomino wants to bury it. But, you know, this new adaptation, a new anime film based on it, you know, it's something that I'm looking forward to. But it also seems to be a real swan song for Yoshikazu Yazuhiko. Yaz himself on the Gundam franchise. According to him, this will be the last time he's going to adapt Gundam for the screen. And that's going to be a little bit of a street. You know, it's been a huge part of the franchise for many years. Obviously, he was the writer of Gundam The Origin. And, you know, like, that's like one of the best interpretations of the Gundam story ever. So, yeah, it's going to be sad to see that he'll kind of be leaving the franchise uh, after it is, at least the anime side of the franchise. And not just him, but it looks like Toru Furia, of course, Amuro's voice actor, says that this might be the last time he voices young Amuro. Obviously, Toru Furia is getting up in years, I guess. But, you know, he plays youngish characters. So I'm surprised that he may be right now. He's a playing young Amuro in future stuff. But again, this seems like kind of a, a nice project to have be their swan songs uh, if they so choose. So yeah, I mean, that just adds even more anticipation into wanting to check this film out when it comes out. And yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Now something else that I'm looking forward to is something that was announced a little bit a while ago, but it's finally coming out as part of a bevy of projects celebrating the 100th year anniversary of Shigeru Mizuki's birth. And that is a new guest no Kitaro film, which is actually going to be a prequel film about uh, Kitaro's birth and the mystery of quote unquote gay, gay, gay. It's going to be, uh, I mean, the teaser original also shows Kitaro's father in like his previous, you know, yokai humanoid form before it just became the old daddy eyeball we know and love. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting, like a prequel Kitaro film. And, you know, hopefully this will be made available on some platform, whether it's Crunchyroll or Netflix, and most likely Netflix, because that's where the other of the recently announced new Shizuru Mizuki celebration projects is heading towards, and that's Akumakan, the TV adaptation, the new TV adaptation of another one of Mizuki's, you know, classic manga series about a boy who is trying to create a society where humanity, you know, builds your potential, lives happily with the help of some likely like monster allies yeah you know that's coming to netflix in 2023 so very cool to see a new adaptation of mizuki's that he's original looks really good style wise so yeah i mean after how good the previous kitaro adaptation was like i'm definitely excited for a new mizuki adaptation that looks just as good if not you know even more promising uh, in terms of visually so yeah very exciting but in terms of uh, other netflix anime news 
there is something that is leaving Netflix, and that is Pokemon Sun and Moon. And basically, the films will still produce in the Sun and Moon era. Movie 20, I Choose You, and Movie 21, Power of Us. Those are basically going to be off Netflix as of the 31st, which is a little disappointing, but this is kind of how Netflix's contracts with the Pokemon seasons have tended to work it's like the new seasons or the last generation of seasons basically do leave at some point once you know they have like the next generation ready to come in so in this case i was surprised because i thought that netflix was going to slowly become the new home to host pokemon after they migrated journeys uh the, the tv anime from disney to netflix so i thought that over time like the contract pokemon has with disney's and to have like uh all this seasons on Disney now or whatever would fall and then most of it would migrate in Netflix but I guess that will not be the case here it seems like the Pokemon company really does prefer the strategy of just having the different seasons available on multiple different platforms so like if anything I think the Sun and Moon seasons are now gonna leave Netflix and head to Hulu because Hulu of course currently hosts the XY generation and this is kind of how it's worked it's like once like the latest generation or the second to latest generation leaves Netflix, then it pops up on Hulu, which is like two generations of seasons behind. And then Tubi is like three generations-ish behind. So that's that's kind of how I'm seeing things work. So I'm expecting like, yeah, the set of movie seasons will go to Hulu and then we'll probably see the black and white seasons leave Tubi and the XY seasons go there instead. And uh, that's how like the Pokemon company seems to like to cycle things. But you know, you don't have to fret if you don't have Hulu uh, about the seasons leaving Netflix if you want to watch them because they're also all just available to watch for free on the Pokemon TV website and app. So, you know, you can check those seasons out there if you so choose. And, you know, they they cycle in seasons in and out, but the Sun and Moon seasons have been there pretty consistently. So I don't think they'll be removed anytime soon. So, yeah, if you don't have Netflix or if you don't have Hulu or wherever these seasons are going to go to next, yeah, you can just watch them there. But there's also another new Pokemon anime to talk about that was announced. And it's another cool new, like, kind of side Pokemon anime series. It's going to be based on the Pokemon Legends Arceus game. It's going to be a new online series in the Hizui region. And I really liked these kind of spin-off anime series, like Legends and Generations. There have been cool experimentations with telling different stories in the Pokemon universe outside the you know format of the tv anime so very very keen to see how this will turn out and what they'll do with it stylistically now there's a lot of other new anime that's gonna be exciting to look forward to and that includes a new adaptation of spice and wolf that's right the classic best-selling light novel series is getting a new anime adaptation we don't know yet if it's a sequel a remake or an original work but the tagline says shall we work on a journey again and the story continues, so I think it'll probably be a continuation of some parts rather than a readaptation. But of course, it's being done to celebrate by single Swiss anniversary, so it's a good time for it. And yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the original anime series. Uh, it's a lot of fun, so looking forward to seeing new Spice and Wolf. The teaser trailer looks very, very pretty. Now, another classic series is getting a new adaptation that is pretty raunchous, and this is also like Netflix related to Return to Them, is that there's a new bastard anime that was announced, new bastard heavy metal fantasy that's going to be popping up on Netflix, a 24-episode re-adaptation of the classic jump manga that was known for its boundary-brushing like violence and sexuality. And yeah, it's going to be directed by the guy who directed Dominic Slayer, Linden Films, uh, Takaro Ozaki. 
It's going to have a series composition from Yusuke Hirota, who's done work on MHA. And it's got character designs from Yaka Ano, who did cross on uh, of all things. And the composer, it's going to be the same composer from Naruto Shibata and Fairytale, Yasuhiro Takanachi. So interesting collection of creative talent on this uh, pretty decent designs like pretty fun trailer yeah bastard like it seems like it's gonna be pretty cool to have a new version of this and uh you know i think it'll be fun you know it'll be like just wild uh cheesy trashy fun so very much oh man it. yeah i'm i'm really excited for this because i've always I've always been like aware of Bastard, but I've never really like interacted with it much. I've always wanted to read it, but obviously uh, the manga for that, I'm assuming it's very out of print at this point is very hard to find. Um, So I'm hoping that maybe we get a, maybe this gets like a license rescue. That would be pretty cool. I could see Seven Seas picking this up eventually. Yeah, this could be in Seven Seas' wheelhouse, or heck, even Viz, if they want to be bold, ever seeing on Welfist and Narstar Dead, and seeing like, hey, yeah, we'll take another chance on like kind of a, a classic, kind of hyper-violent uh, 80s jump title, like Bastard, especially if the anime is like popular and gets a reputation, this is like, hmm, you know, we had we did this before, we did a lot of volumes this before, why not take a chance at it again, like Fist, and maybe this will end up, like Fist, being one of our top sellers, so, hey, I will just be interested in anyone taking another chance of republishing Bastard again. But that's not the only, like, jump-related new anime news. So we got some new sequel seasons announced for two of the most popular uh, long-running franchises out right now. No, for sure. Um, the first of which is season two of Jujutsu Kaisen uh, will be premiering in 2023, as it was announced by MAPPA, basically. And uh, yeah, you know, at first when I saw that, I was like 2023. But then I remembered, oh, yeah, MAPPA's working on like a shit ton of stuff right now. So I'm not that surprised. Yeah, they're stretching so thin, honestly, on all the projects they're doing and the level of quality of their work. So, like, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that they should do it late 2023, give them some, you know, time to breathe between projects and extra time to work on it. And also, it kind of makes sense timing-wise. It'd be the most appropriate timing-wise for them to try and line up the beginning of the Shiduya incident with October and Halloween. So, yeah, like, I mean, thematically, that probably be pretty fun to do appropriate to do so they could start in the summer or they could start in the fall even though they're being a little lead in uh, before Shibuya and so would actually start since they have to do uh, the arc before that uh, which would be like six seven episodes so yeah I mean I am definitely excited for this this is basically going to be like hidden inventory and Shibuya incident that's going to take up this entire two core season so yeah I mean of course uh, it was an incredible arc I mean I talked about it before when we discussed in the best of manga two years ago that Juzu Kaisen was my favorite series that year because that arc was just so incredible uh and such a chill ride so very very excited to see it animated and see what map will do with it because there's gonna definitely be some insane opportunities for animation highlights oh man yeah I obviously I I'm only keeping up with the anime for Jujutsu Kaisen at the moment I do want to get to the manga at some point when I can like find the time but for now I I'm definitely gonna at least keep up with the anime and man I'm very excited to finally get to the Shibuya incident arc at some point and see what all the hubbub's about because I hear I hear a lot of really big stuff happens some of which I'm I'm pretty sure I do remember at least some of what you talked about in some of our previous best of manga episodes. Uh, and it sounds pretty wild. So I can't wait to get to that eventually. Mm-hmm. Something else I can't wait to get to eventually uh, is the next season of Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba. So 
This is interesting because it was confirmed that the next season of the TV anime of Demon Slayer is going to be covering the Swordsmith Village arc, which is interesting because I'm pretty sure, you know, we speculated a lot on like when they're maybe going to do like another movie eventually, because I have to imagine they're at least like looking into that possibility, probably since Mugen Train did so well. But uh, yeah, originally I thought they were going to do this as like a movie. So I'm, I'm surprised they're I'm surprised they're going right back to TV anime. Um, I still think that eventually when they're done with this arc, that they'll probably try to break up that last arc into like movies. But I guess we'll see. I personally hope they don't, because I think that arc is just not suited for like a multi-movie format it'd be better just to do it as tv and similarly like swordsman village like if they were gonna do another movie this would be the option in terms of like length uh but like also it's the same length as entertainment district and you know i think that again formatting wise with how long it is it is better served by the tv format rather than the film format Mm -hmm. so i I think that this is a better move and I think that they should keep the rest of the series uh, as uh, TV, but I'm sure they are going to think about doing more movies. And I think that, you know, of course, part of the reason why Mugen Film did so well is that it was an adaptation of like a huge turning port arc in the manga. But I think that the best thing might just be to do an original story as the next movie because the pacing of the the next couple arcs is just something that unless you like heavily restructure it it's just not something that's going to be suited for movie format i don't think like if i can think of like how you do the final arc i guess you would have everything before the castle as one movie uh, and then you would have or like you'd have everything for castle then maybe just to have like kind of a a neat bow to like tanjiro's training or stuff like that you try and mood like a Kaza fight earlier to that and then the second film you would do all the other fights with the remaining epic moons and the third film would be Muzan but that's just like a weird structure and pacing for films you know to just have like one film be dedicated to a series of like disconnected fights and then another film being connected just to a fight with one person it, it just as feels like this should just be a format for serialized TV rather than film so you know we'll see how they how they choose to approach that material but I think that keeping Demon Slayer's, uh, you know, manga arcs as TV adaptations from henceforth makes sense uh, for the material. But I would like them to try and do uh, more movies with original stories. And I think there's potential there, you know, to even like fill in things that we mentioned in the manga are kind of like missed opportunities or things that could have been given more exploration. I think there's opportunity to do that with original stories for film. That's fair. I mean, I'm just glad we're getting more Demon Slayer anime, like, in general. I'm pretty sure at this point we're pretty guaranteed to see the rest of the story animated at this point. Yeah, it's not really a question. Like, when this was airing, this was pretty much the top-rated TV anime on air in Japan, beating out really pretty much only by Sazaislan most weeks. So, you know, this is hu- it's a hugely popular series. They are going to adapt the whole thing. I don't think that's a question at all. Um, but I think that's about it for news, right? That should be about it for news on this episode. So now we can head into our discussion of our new Simulpubs. And we'll start off with the new Soul Kadansha Simulpub that has been available on 
main platforms, including Crunchyroll and OzGame, wherever you can buy and read Kanchi Simulpus. And that is the world of somebody by Yuki Kadama, who, as mentioned before, is the author of Bloodlad, which was a fun, like, super natural comedy battle series that I quite enjoyed from back in the day. So I was definitely keen to check out the new work. And it's also about kind of the interaction between humans and monsters with a sort of a different take on it because it's set in a world in which fantasy like creatures uh supernatural beings have been kind of summoned into the human world through like distortions and like space-time that kind of connect these other worlds and work like the world around them into a different spaces and so like all these like fantasy uh creatures and beings have kind of been summoned into the world and a lot of them are just trapped there you know they're trapped and they have been kind of separated from their families with no way of, to return so a lot of them have kind of been sequestered and uh, pigeonholed into a fantasy district and our protagonist is a boy who is raised by kind of a surrogate family of these supernatural creatures in the fantasy district called Takoya. And he wants to become what is called a summoner who, you know, they're because of these fantasy creatures being summoned, like there's been, you know, opened up like new career cults of summoning and summoners where people, you know, use summoning skills to distort space time or as they like call it in terms of the, you know, terminology to use the worldview to, you know, summon things to like this fight and this story and solve like things that comes through through these worldview space-time distortions and yeah so he wants to go through in school to like learn summoning skills mainly to become kind of an object summer to help summon things items from like his or good family's basically home worlds you know and just like kind of help make their their dreams come true you know and just thank them and like you know help them out you know he's a very like helpful kind person in that way but as he comes to realize, like, his perspective on these creatures, uh, his worldview, you know, you would say, is different from the worldview of other human beings who, you know, have not spent the time to get to know these creatures. And who see, like, aberrations that comes through worldview distortions as potentially dangerous, and their first instinct is to execute them without hesitation. So he comes to recognize a lesson when he helps out kind of a like flytrap type fantasy creature who, you know, is like reacting out because it was set on fire by a guy who was trapped in the safe time distortion with it. And he helps calm it down. But then the summoner who is the smash of the seed, like immediately executes it without second thought. So he kind of recognizes, oh, I have to not just, you know, become a summoner to help out by friends and family. I kind of have to also contend with like changing people's minds about these creatures and these guys. And so he rolls into the, like the like special uh, summoning school. One of his classmates is uh, Carol Shoshino, who is like the Harris of the Shoshino group, like the company that makes like the advanced technology that helps track and measure worldly distortions. And where we're at in the latest chapter is that he wanted to originally go into like kind of a object summoning, but he was only admitted into the school on the condition that he joins the special force of class. He really has no say or choice in the matter. He either goes to this class to attend the school or he can't attend school so he goes there and Shiroshino is there because her family doesn't want her to be like a battle summoner but she tricked them and saying like oh I'm gonna get into school but I'm gonna specialize in economics but then she immediately requests to go into the special forces class and so the class's first test is like a 
field assignment. They're sent to another dimension, basically, to fight zombies. And Krokoyo realizes that these zombies are toothless. Like, they're not really a danger. So he was like, wait, why are you guys, like, fighting these guys that Troy rocks to them, you know? You don't have to do that. And But he constantly comes to realize, oh, no, they're doing that because they want to, because that's the test. Uh, is to use your worldview based on distortion powers to fight these off. But he hasn't, he has learned another way because of his experience with, you know, fantasy creatures and he knows a quicker way to defend zombies without using like the, this power is just to like hit him in the temple with a pen and uh, twist it a bit. And so he immediately, without even using uh, worldview powers, is able to just dispatch all the zombies. And that's kind of where we're left off with the teacher of the class kind of being annoyed that this guy, oh, he's coming in bringing fresh new ideas, a different way of doing things. It's he distorting has a different our worldview, worldview, you must say. Than other <laughs> people. Uh, he has to be reprimanded and, and nipped in the butt before he becomes too much of a, a an influence and changes like the people's minds but you know yeah that's kind of it has her on the nose if you have a yeah. like idea <laughs> like oh the theme of this is like different perspectives on the world and perspectives on how to do things and stuff but i think it's a good execution of video kikudana has a great sense of humor so there's a lot of nice comics mingled throughout to go you know the execution of how he approaches situations uh is very funny in terms of his blunt honesty and optimism uh and earnestness in terms of like giving others benefit of the doubt and then trying to help people like just genuinely like his approach of like taking down the zombies is like you know it's it's kind of a brutal approach in the sense of like oh he's literally twisting a pen into their temples but he comes at it from a place of like genuinely wanting to like dispatch in a way that causes them the least amount of suffering because like this doesn't hurt them as much as like their bodies being thrown and torn apart by rocks and so it's kind of an you know he does have an interesting perspective and it's an interesting kind of dynamic to introduce into this group of characters who have kind of just utterize these fantasy creatures and immediately view them as dangerous and just have like one way of doing things but he comes in and of course he learn differently from his experiences and i think that's going to be interesting to see explored uh, in future chapters so i think art wise very strong concept wise it's got a good uh, premise and central foundation to it. So yeah, I quite enjoyed this. And yeah, I th- thought it was a good... Ex- and I think the characters, je- again, are just generally fun. I think Akeru is ready to highlight in like her mischievousness and also her, her bluntness. So I think the dynamic between Akeru and Tokyo is also going to be fun uh, to see developed too. Yeah, I I thought this was I thought it was pretty good. I, I've never read Blood Lad or any of Yuki Kodama's works, so I didn't really know like what to expect. But um, I think this is just pretty solid. Like I might try to keep up with this because I would like to see where things go. Um, I really like the moment in particular where like he basically calms the plant monster down and then Saiki, one of Akeru's uh, bodyguards, ju- does just take them out or whatever and, you know, kind of gives Tokoyo, like, this wake-up call of, like, oh, this is what being a summoner is actually like. Like, this is what this is what ex- uh, what is expected of a summoner normally. And, you know, that, that does kind of take him aback. And, you know, I, I think that gives him a good reason to kind of, like, s- sort of fight back in a way where it's like, you know, we were we were joking, but yes, you know, Tokoyo is going to have to distort everyone's worldviews and give them new perspective on what it's like to be a summoner and how they should go about their positions as summoners and and whatnot. So I I don't know. I'm I'm all about series where the protagonist has to um, turn society's uh, worldviews on its head. You know, I'm 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 all about that kind of stuff. So yeah, 
Yeah, outsider coming in, shake up the status quo, and defined by their empathy for other people. Yeah, I think that's like good premise uh, generally and a type of characterization for protagonists to have. So yeah, I think it's a strong foundation. Looking forward to seeing like how it develops uh, these ideas and these characters. For sure, yeah. I'm kind of wondering if there's any if there's any more reason behind like you know, why he was forced to take the combat class, because it doesn't seem like something he was, like, aware of. So I'm kind of wondering if there was, like, a little bit of meddling there that maybe we're not aware of. I mean, it's clear it's, like, a meddling of, like, he was not told that this was the condition that was stipulated for him to be allowed to enter the school, is that he would be forced into this combat class. And there's clearly a reason as to why, in terms of, like, oh, there's something special about him that necessitates that, oh, he must become a battle summoner. So, and that probably has to do with, like, oh, there must be more of a reason to why he was kind of abandoned and, or- and left as an orphan in the fantasy district. There's probably more of an explanation of, like, why he could be trunks through buildings uh, without much damage to him. And there's probably also more to to the fact that he wasn't able to really uh, manipulate worldview as shown in the chapter like the other characters. Potentially this is another type of story in which the character does not have the special magic powers that uh, the rest of the characters do in this world, but he makes up for it through different uh, wits and strengths. His own unorthodox methods, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure there's like more mysteries, uh, more conspiracy meddling stuff to that that we'll see developed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I I would like to try to keep up with this if I can. I mean, in general, um, I think um, I forget the name of um, what the other title we covered from Azuki was. But besides that one, uh, I I don't know. For for some reason, I I, I really kind of paid attention to like what my reading experience was like on Azuki this time around, and um, I didn't have any problems with it. I, I really like reading stuff on Azuki and. I also didn't know that, like, Azuki gave you the option to, like, directly support creators of the manga you read. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it is. It is a great feature that more apps uh, should have. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind when uh, when I'm reading stuff on there. As soon as I have the extra money, I, w- I would like to take advantage of that option. But, um, yeah, no, um, World of Summoning, pretty good so far. And, yeah, hopefully I can try to keep up with this one. Yeah, so that's a cool new addition to the Kadanja Simon Pubs lineup that you can read wherever Kadanja Simon Pubs are available, and especially recommend Asuki, and new chapters come out on the 8th of every month. But now we're going to the new Shonen Jump series. We got two of them in the recent round coming in to replace Magu and Dr. Stone, and they're definitely very interesting out-of-the-mold type series. The first of which being Akane Banashi by Yuki Suenaga and Takamasa Boe. And of course, Takamasa Monoe, we have seen work of theirs before and even talk about on the show briefly that was Oli Galasso the soccer manga that came out in 2016 we only ever got the jumpstart run on that but it had strong art and that is certainly evident here in Akane Banashi that their art skills have only continued to improve a level of a very strong design sense and a nice appealing thickness to their line work and hatching and uh, yeah I mean he teamed up with Yuki Suenaga for a one shot last year called Tatara Shido which you know I heard some pretty good things about uh, but of course like that concept wasn't really developed into like a full series but here yeah we see them come with a new serialization together and it is a very strong one and it's a Rockville manga you know another rare subject matter for 
manga, I mean, of course, the most famous example being Descending Stories, which is, you know, Quirtly Wells, very much clean for a very good reason. But yeah, this is, of course, more of a shonen e like, kind of cake for a rock ghost story than series, where it has a really good setup, where we focus on Akane's father, Shinta. He's like a Rakugoka in training to level up. And he has like this big exam training performance where he's like, hey, I have to do really well at this to make Shinuichi, you know, give like a really great performance. And it does give a really good performance. Like he may take some liberties with the story he's telling, but everyone really enjoys it. And so he's been on a lot of pressure of like, oh, I got to really succeed at this because, you know, I don't make enough at the rank I'm at now. I'm causing problems for my daughter and wife because, you know, daughter is kind of getting me fun of in school because of the fact that you know i'm like a rakugoka who doesn't have that much success but even though you know she really believes in me and she really loves me my wife is super supportive of me so he's he's really has a lot of pressure on his back to do well and pass and so things really look up after his performance but you know the big gut punch at the end of the first chapter is that he and basically all the other students who gave performance that they are expelled by the grandmaster of his uh, training school, the Arakawa training school, Isho Arakawa, who says like, all the performances were travesties. That performance was not real Rakugo. The performance that Shinta gave the Shibahama story was not the real Shibahama. So he ends up getting expelled from the school and he is no longer really able to work as a Rakugoka. So he ends up just getting some other job. But his daughter, Akane, was super heavily inspired and loved his Rakugo. She's heartbroken that he gave up his Rakugo and really upset that other people like are congratulatory of the fact that he's given up because it really upsets her. Because she believed in him so much and she loved it so much. So she wants to follow in its footsteps and goes to train under uh, her father's mentor, Shiguma. And for six years, basically hones her abilities in Rakugo and then is given a chance to give a performance in order to like kind of test her mettle, test her ability, whether she's ready to become like a official apprentice, a shunichi of Shiguma. And she does very well. You know, she performs as the opening act uh, to a performer who is running late. And she really, you know, after some nervousness, is able to, like, woo the crowd with the strength of, like, her performance and ability to engage the audience's imagination. So, yeah, like, she does very well. And at the end of that, she basically has proven herself enough to Shiguma to be accepted as his apprentice and to, like, work up the world of Rakugo in order to, like, you know, prove the merits of her father's uh, Rakugo style and also show up the guy who kicked him out and caused him to leave the Rakugo scene in the first place. So, you know, it's a very compelling premise with like a fun character in Akane. She's got a lot of sass and personality. And I think the Rakugo performance of this are really expressive and great. Like you can tell like different uh, performance styles in the characters is acting. The expression work is really excellent. And the body language too, like, you know, as a medium that, you know, is so often really the auditory element is so critical to still be able to communicate the strength of performance and the acting uh, just through like the soundless media manga uh, just through the strength of strong body language strong expressions is really superb and I think that uh, Moe is able to do that just superbly so I think like just art wise this is incredibly strong character premise wise like really really strong foundation you know in reading the series like I went back to compare with Descending Stories' first couple 
couple chapters. And of course, the setting story is a very strong, like, thematic uh, character foundation as well. But I think, in fact, in terms of, like, its craft as a manga, in terms of, like, uh, panel layouts, in terms of the way the story is developed, in terms of also, like, depicting the actual Rakugo itself, Akane Nashi, I think, even excels, has an even stronger start than Descending Stories in that way. Mm, okay. And I really, really appreciated it, reading it. And I really, really am excited for it to have, like, a, you know, an different type of kind of competition manga you know a non-combat competition manga focusing on a female protagonist working her way up through like kind of competitive arts field and one that is also of course so like patriarchally male dominated that you know the series is gonna probably have to grapple with uh those themes too but so far it's done very well by avoiding like the kind of usual cliches and yeah just very very strong character is a very strong uh, characterization and just really great execution of actually depicting Rakugo, especially with like the fantasy like visualizations in more of a kind of classic artistic style of the different uh, stories as well that will, are shown alongside like the characters performing it. You know, it's just really, really uh, incredibly well executed. I'm really, really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, so... Um, I'm going to preface this by saying, despite any criticism I had, which I have, I have very little, you know, I love the fact that this just exists, quite honestly, because like, you know, I think both this and Earth Child, which we'll get to in a bit, these are both like, and I, I feel like people say this a lot about a lot of series that turn out to be the opposite of this, but these feel very atypical jump. Yeah. Quite honestly, like the... Like, the, the, these are series that I would expect to run on, like, Jump Plus. Like, these are, both this and Earth Child are so great, quite honestly. Um, but Akane Banashi, I don't know. It's just so interesting to see, like, a Rakugo manga in Jump, especially considering, you know, theoretically, the audience for Shonen Jump is normally, you know, basically young preteen boys. And, you know, I know that Jump also skiers older nowadays, but it's so interesting and such a novelty to me to see something like this be a part of the jump lineup quite honestly that like it really makes me excited to see like where this goes and i mean you know i i also love that like takamasa moe also has another chance to like do another series again because um you know you mentioned we talked about only galazzo way back in the day when that was a jump start and um you know even if the series itself wasn't like amazing or anything like his art was like the strongest point of that series yeah absolutely uh, and was the thing that I loved the most about it. And I, I would love to like go back and revisit that when we eventually get to it in our long list of jump stop podcasts we have to do. But yeah, so I, I do think this is a really good series. And I really do. I'm really interested in seeing like how they do tackle that idea of like, you know, Rakugo, like you were saying, being this like very traditional Japanese pastime and performing arts that typically does exclude women from what I can tell, you know, kind of like the same thing that you you always hear with like sumo is that one of the things about sumo is that like, it's like disrespectful or something for a woman to step in the sumo ring, which, you know, whatever. Right. And obviously, this is a little more modern uh, take than in even Descending Stories, where, like, for the longest time, uh, the main female character of the series was not allowed to perform. In, in this one, though, there's, like, not 
as much like reservation. It's probably a little more modernized, but there's still going to be that element of like, she's a woman in like a field that's like traditionally male dominated. She's going to have to deal with that. But also, of course, like the things where it's going to have to deal with the fact that Bakugo is somewhat of a not nearly as popular art form. It is like more of a niche art form now. And in some ways, a lot, much like in the sense there was exploring the idea of like Rakugo as an art just kind of fading away and dying without people to pass it on. Like this is also going to have to kind of grapple with that in some respect, I have to imagine, because it's just part and parcel of the fact like, hey, this is like kind of a traditional form of art that there isn't as much demand for these days. So of course, like, you know, there's still a lot of appreciation for it. And also, I think that's another reason why it's so cool to have a jump manga about Rakugo is to introduce potentially a new uh, generation of uh, kids uh, and young people to the art form and learn about it and potentially get interested in that encouraged interest could help continue to sustain the medium and the art of it with renewed uh, interest and in people potentially getting inspired to uh, learn more about it or even participate in performing it themselves. So I think that's another cool reason to have a Rakugo manga run and jump to just spread some spotlight to younger audiences on this art form. No, for sure. Like, even if this does get canceled early, which, God forbid, I really hope this stays, uh, at least for a while. But, you know, even if it does get canceled early, it's still important that it exists, because like you said, this could potentially get a lot of younger people into the art form, probably. Um, so it, it's a, like I said, it, it's important that it exists. And going back to the whole thing about Rakugo being very traditional, let's say, you know, I, I'm kind of expecting this series to maybe even do better at that kind of thing, exploring that kind of thing better than Descending Stories did, because Descending Stories, like, you know, it, it explored it enough, but a part of me did kind of feel like, man, I, maybe we could have had even more of this. Like, I think we could have spent more time on some of this, you know? But that series also had a lot of other stuff going on that it needed to focus on. But still, I I think the fact that this series is another jump series that stars a female protagonist, you know, that, that that's another thing that I'm also really kind of surprised at, is that it is a manga about a niche art form starring a character that isn't male that isn't just another young plucky male protagonist like I, I think it's checking off a lot of like unorthodox boxes there i really appreciate that so far yeah it is it is honestly filling the octod shaped hole in my heart that uh, was sorely missed for me so i i'm that's another reason i'm kind of pulling and hoping that it really does catch its audience because i think like the potential of the subject matter exploring is super interesting. I think the character of Akane is just super fun to follow. And I think the way that it depicts Rakugo is super interesting and entertaining. And I think, yeah, the art is just so strong and really is pulling so much weight here in terms of selling just how different the performance styles of each of the characters are from like kind of Akane's like unresting type of performance to later seeing Kaize's kind of more like seductive, subtle performance that is then punctuated by when he has the really goofy face when he's performing the buffoon who sings badly. So, you know, I think that it does a great job showing contrast uh, by just the way characters perform in terms of their body language and their expression. So it's doing a really good job of selling the art form and also making it entertaining to read and like setting up this idea of like, hey, here's like Akai's journey, uh, what she's going to have to do to become like a maxman great at this. And here's like kind of the, the competition element. She's part of this one school. She's competing against this other school. Here's some of their other competitors. Yeah, it's going to be really, really fun to read, I think. 
can I just say one one quick thing before we probably move on here in a bit? Because um, you you mentioned that you would kind of like compare and contrast this with the Descending Stories manga, and I was going to bring up something, but admittedly, I haven't like touched on the Descending Stories manga in a while. But I do remember the anime a bit more. Is the fact that a part of me did think that like as much as I do appreciate how the Rakugo performances are like depicted in this series, a part of me did kind of feel like because this is a Shonen Jump manga and it is theoretically being read by a younger audience that like I feel like it gets a little too like explaining a little bit like I, I feel like the performances don't get as much room to just kind of be performances, but Again, this is just me also, because something else I'm kind of afraid of with like reading this is being like too critical of it in the way where it's like, I just keep going back to the descending stories. Like, I don't want to fall into that mindset. So I'm trying not to, but yeah. One thing is that I think this is early on and you need some expedition of like what the stories are and then like uh, how Rakugo is performed. So I'm not super bothered by that for sure. But also, if you compare it to the first chapters of the Sending Stories, there's actually more time spent showing Rakugo being performed uh, in Akane Benashi's first chapters than there is actually uh, in the Sending Stories in terms of actual pages spent if you're comparing the manga. So, like, the, the first chapter of Sending Stories especially, you have maybe, like, two pages of Rakugo actually being shown. Like, most of it is just character establishing for our main trio of characters. Uh, whereas, and this first chapter honestly does a lot better job of, like, establishing, hey, here's what Rakugo is. Here's an example of a Rakugo performance. Here's what's, you know, <laughs> very cool about it. Uh, and that you can just see and appreciate visually rather than, like, it being, like, told to you, like, oh, this is why he was inspired by Yakimo's performance and whatnot. You know, so it's actually, honestly, I think in execution, just manga-wise, of uh, depicting Rakugo, uh, I liked Akali Banashi's thing and think it actually ended stronger. Now, of course, the anime had the advantage of actually expanding on those performances and, like, dedicating, like, just showing them in full. No, yeah, for and, sure. And, like, animating them and having the performance. So, like, the anime is just a whole other level. Uh, comparing manga, you know, I, I wanted to compare, see how uh, kind of Minaji portrayed Rakugo compared to the ending stories. Uh, I think that it actually does a very good job earlier on uh, establishing it. That That is a good point because, like, again, I, I have more experience with the anime than the manga of Descending Stories. So that is that is what I was thinking of was, like, you know, that first episode where you do get to see Yotaro, like, do his performance and you do kind of get to, like, you know, just kind of sit with it and see him perform where it's like, yeah, in that aspect, the anime definitely has the advantage over the manga for Descending Stories. So, yeah, I, I, I almost didn't want to bring it up because I... Uh, I realized my criticism wasn't going to be super fair because I haven't revisited the manga in a while. But, you know, I guess that that is the thing I, I, I kind of have to, like, grapple with is the fact that, like, you know, this manga, it, like you said, is probably like the point of it is that we're showing possibly a new audience what Rakugo is like. And you do kind of have to, like, ease people in early. And I, I do totally understand that. I guess I just have this fear that the series won't be able to, like, really kind of, like, revel in the performances as much as I would, as much as I wanted to personally. But again, that that's just the personal thing. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure as the series goes on, we won't have to, like, hold the audience's hand too much. And we can just kind of revel in the performances the more we go on, I guess. Yeah, I think once we get the characters established more and then we get into the full swing of like, you know, when it comes time for Akane to give big performances, that's when we'll have like chapters just sitting with and just like watching those play out. So uh, that's what I'm expecting. So I'm not too uh, worried with the abridgement so far. Yeah. But I understand the, the want for it. And uh, I think that, you know, it's just one that uh, I think we, we're going to have to wait and see how it 
turns out. But I think that I am pretty uh, hopeful because I think already, like just even though we don't see the full performances of these stories uh, in these chapters, like the bits we do see do a lot to let you know what the story is and how well, uh, what take the characters are doing in performing it. So I, I think is well executed so far. No, for sure. Yeah, I don't want to come off like I don't think it's good because I do think it's done super good so far because you you do get a sense of like how well the characters are performing and like, you know, especially since this is a comic, this is this is something drawn like you you get a better idea like through the expressiveness of Moe's art just like how deftly these characters are able to like go from one character to another because Rakugo is basically like a one-person show and you have to like depict all these different like characters and roles and you have to like basically have a conversation with yourself almost while also telling an entire story so you know I, I think that aspect of Rakugo is like is represented really wonderfully through this series so far. Like little touches, like when uh, when Shinta is telling the Shibahama story in the first chapter, and you have that little bit where like he's playing a character like knocking on the door, and you have the other character like kind of cowering in fear, like oh what what's it what is it? Like I love the way because because I think uh, Moe's paneling really comes in handy with that kind of stuff because you can you can make it look like there are two characters interacting with each other even though it's just Shinta you know portraying these other characters. Like I, I really love stuff like that. I love little details like that. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, overall, this is, um, like, again, aside from the fact that I'm just glad this exists, like, I'm also glad that it's like, it's, it's just super good, too. Like, I really want to see where this goes. Like, again, this is, I feel like this has really been giving me like a shot in the arm as far as like, you know, being like actually being excited for a new jump title, because this is, this isn't like another title where I, I feel like I could see what's coming. Like, I genuinely have no idea, like how this will shake out other than the fact that we'll probably get to the point where Akane gets to like, you know, show Isho off and be like, yeah, this is my Rakugo and you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have expelled my father or whatever. Like, I think she'll get her revenge eventually, but like, other than that, yeah, I, it's really hard for me to tell like where this will go. So I'm, I'm a lot more excited to see the story play out i guess absolutely now yeah we have the other jump series new series to talk about and that is earth child that comes to us from hideo shingai who did soul catchers previously that had like two little runs in jump and then uh, jump plus so yeah i mean they are returning with a new manga in jump itself and this is another interesting one now the first chapter is basically about a romance between basically a superhero and a normal guy and like the idea on the premise of this role is that they're like special they're people who are gifted special powers by uh the earth they're called earth childs and they are recruited by a global organization called waste in order to you know protect the earth from all sorts of calamities and also works with a crime and the story begins with a uh, male protectors race being saved by an earth child called Guerreri. and you know they're just doing like kind of their own like mind wipe devices akin to men in black where they can erase people's minds but uh race cake just passing her by the street immediately all the memories come back to him so he chases her and they talk a little bit and then you know even after the second mind wipe like Carreri, you know starts to say i'm curious if this person would remember me if i left another hint and and so, yeah, like she plays a message for him and then they meet up again and like they start to form a romance and a relationship that eventually ends in them getting married and having a child together. But then the Earth is under threat of like a giant like kind of asteroid that is like attempting to destroy the Earth. 
when it makes impact with the Earth. She's basically the only Earth child that can save the planet by going up into space and destroying it. But it's like, of course, an incredibly life-threatening mission. And even though, you know, Reisuke has his worries about her safety, you know, she wants to protect the Earth and not just the Earth, but of course her husband and her child. And she, you know, does do that. She goes in space to destroy the asteroid, but she seemingly sacrifices herself in the process, leaving uh, Reisuke a widower. But as it's revealed, potentially Kareri is still alive because she seemingly has fused with the asteroid up in space. And, you know, because of her psychic powers, you know, even is protected by debris that may collide with the fragment. So she's just in limbo up there. But Waste doesn't want to necessarily go rescue someone who isn't alive or who they don't know for sure is alive. So they have to have this promise to guarantee that Kareri's child, Kareri's child, Mamoru, who has telekinetic powers, is an Earth child now, will be raised to be a proper Earth child uh, in her stead. And then eventually, under that promise, then they will one day make the attempt to rescue Kareri from space using Mamoru's powers. But yeah, like, you know, originally Waste wants to just take Mamoru away from Reisuke and raise him themselves. But, you know, Reisuke stands up for his child. He wants to give him a normal life, raise him up to be a good person himself and doesn't want to you know, forget his child or his wife. So he takes on that responsibility. And because like he seems to be able to calm Mamoru better than the waste agents, you know, they kind of relent and allow him to do it. But of course, raising like a supernatural baby is hard and he's having some troubles doing it and dealing with his psychic powers and realizes though that, you know, after a short stint of trying to use kind of like a cufflinks that kind of inhibit his psychic abilities, he realizes that's making Mamoru unhappy and that's not the way he can go about raising him uh, and giving him the happy life that he wants to give him. So we don't know what he's going to try quite yet, the alternative at the end of the most recent chapter. But the general gist of the series is that this is a, just a parent raising a child manga. You know, which is quite uh, unusual for Shonen Jump. You know, of course, it has the supernatural element of young know, Monroe having psychic powers and stuff. But, you know, this is very much like a parent raising child type series. And um, that's quite interesting. Quite an interesting. Like, like again, it's very atypical for a premise for a jump manga. And so I'd definitely appreciate it in that way. Uh, I think that, you know, I will say that Race Gay and then you first couple chapters I was like super interested in him he didn't really have like a super defined personality beyond being uh earnest and not willing to like uh give up you know he had some interesting like uh out there moments of like jumping off like a hospital window which is like multiple <laughs> stories in the air uh on the promise that you know curry will jump out and save him uh, as a way of proposing you know so there's just some things like that i think really though it's really in the recent chapters where we're kind of seeing him more just trying to think about how best he wants to raise Mamoru that he's becoming a little more interesting to me and that makes me interested in seeing like the development of this phase in the story and how long this phase in the story will last like if it'll be more long term of him just like you know different uh, challenges and raising uh, Mamoru through different stages of life or will get more of a immediate time skip to in the future where he's more grown up and developing psychic powers of combat and becomes more of a battle manga uh, I'm curious to see what direction will go but so far I like the the current kind of state it's in where it is just him trying to figure out how how do i raise my supernatural baby and so it's interesting in that way um look i gotta tell you um that first chapter alone 
uh, really rocked me. Like, I, mm. you know, g- going into this series, I had an idea that it was like a sci-fi romance kind of thing. And I was like, okay, that, that sounds neat. Like, this will probably be like a, a manga about like these two high school age characters and they're going to work up to being in a relationship. But like all kinds of stuff's going to get in the way because she's clearly like a person with powers and like silly, stupid hijinks are going to ensue. And it's probably going to be cute. I was not expecting how this first chapter played out like you literally see these two people's like uh not not their whole lives but their whole like love lives almost up up to the point where they have a kid just play out and then it hits you with that gut punch of like oh Kareri's gonna have to save the world from a giant asteroid and then she seemingly dies and (laughs) leaves um the dad to be like a single dad like I wasn't like this entire first chapter could have just been like a really really like cool one shot and I would have been like totally satisfied but the fact that we're getting more like really makes me happy honestly. Yeah I mean that's actually a criticism I saw a lot of people try out it's that oh this feels paced like a one shot and so people were like wondering huh where's the direction gonna go from there and admittedly yeah I mean it was surprising though that the series from like the tagline and what we knew about it before going in was like oh this is gonna be like a romance between these people but really it's not the focus of the, the romance obviously the relationship is like the central uh, emotional core of it but really it is just now it's about this guy raising their child so that's, that's an interesting direction to take it that was a really interesting surprise that now i think i'm more on board with but yeah yeah i mean i, I was also a little skeptical not sure i felt about Carreri like potentially being taking out the story like within the first chapter like the prominent you know female lead of uh, powers and then like the the normal milka choice guy is the actual real lead but you know now again like as we've seen where the direction the story is going i'm a little little more on board with it as i'm coming to like racing more and kind of like the direction of the story more but yeah uh i think that this is a, again just in terms of premise uh interesting type of story for jump that is about like the challenges of parenthood and especially you know of course with the fantastical element of like this is a supernatural baby but like you know just how do you be a good father to your child how do you raise you know your kid upright to have like good morals and to give uh, him a happy normal childhood i think that is a like kind of a compelling hook a uh, compelling central drive to the story. And that's definitely something I'm keen to see like uh, play out in the long term. Mm-hmm. I'm really all about manga, you know, about single parents, you know, raising their kid. And man, I, yeah, I just wasn't expecting this series to go in this direction, but I think it's turning out to be really interesting so far. Like it, th- this series has like gone to a lot of places I wasn't expecting it to go and it's keeping me really engaged. And I, you know, I- I'm interested in the fact that like, we're also getting like narration from Mamoru and I don't know, I guess that's going to be the thing we're supposed to figure out maybe is like, whether that's like, uh, I guess past tense, like, is he going to be the one telling the story now? Like, and we're going to yeah, lead to him like a- Yeah, reflecting on- the past and his father raising him. And that certainly seems to be like kind of the, the vibe of the text in the end of the third chapter. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm all about a dad who just loves his son. Like, I, I want to see more of that. <laughs> yeah, that's very nice to see. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Like, I, I think in general, both these new series from Jump are, are both like equally good, I think. Like, I genuinely don't know which one I like more. And I think I think that's a good thing. I have a strong, unquestionable preference for Kanye Benashi, but I do think Earthchild has a lot of promising potential. I've warmed up to it quite considerably as the chapters have gone on. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, good round from jump. I genuinely have no complaints. So, yeah, no, I think that this was really nice to have, like, again, very fresh and premise type series, very atypical, different from kind of the norm in terms of focus and subject matter. And I again appreciate the variety that brings to the magazine. Oh, for sure. But I think we can move on to our batch of uh, titles from Comic Key that we have to talk about. Yeah, so Comic Key has added uh, quite a few new titles recently. The four in particular that we're going to talk about are series that are pretty soon to be caught up to becoming simulpubs because they all debuted in 2021 on Manga One. Of these, like the one that's probably the most, most caught up right now is Thank You Isekai since that debuted just in last November. And the oldest of these is Villainous Weekend and Mike Miguel, who started in January of 2021. So these are pretty recent series that will that will graduate into becoming like full-fledged simulpots pretty soon, so we thought we'd talk about them. And, you know, Comic-Key kind of has their like little like tag numbers uh, at the end of their URLs, so that's kind of how we're going to decide the order with this. And we're going to start off with uh, I'm cute enough to get away with by Jin Mokuyama, which is kind of a gender swap, like cross-dressing series of like a shot-in boy, a boy who used to be like kind of a hikikomori, not go to school a lot. You know, he decides to impersonate his twin sister after she falls into a coma after like an accident where she was running with a rice ball in her mouth and then it fell and then him running after it, she hit her head on a tree and then she fell into a river and almost drowned. So she's in a coma now. And she really lived for a perfect attendance record and she also was like, you know, trying her her best every day uh, going to school and walking out to school with a smile on her face to, you know, encourage him to also go out and venture out into the world. So he feels like a degree of responsibility and desire to help her keep up her you know, academic record at her all-girls boarding school. And of course, uh, as a lot of these series go, in terms of like, you know, having an etchy, uh, harem-y rent, like he gets into a lot of shenanigans uh, with, you know, getting to compromising situations with almost naked uh, girls at his new boarding school, uh, mainly his uh, roommate, Mashiro, who's kind of like a little socially clueless. Sometimes she's not that worried about modesty. She's pretty lax in terms of her studies and stuff like that. So, and she's more like kind of a subdued type of personality. But like she starts to really develop kind of a crush on uh, Yoru as he's impersonating his sister. And like, because he helps interfere with like someone who is hitting on her and like kind of gets her off her back. And then there are just instances that kind of to help her make her develop a crush on him as do like her sister's other friends start to develop crushes on him, including a girl who's like super clumsy and nervous around boys because she's only ever attended all girls schools. And she gets goosebumps when she touches a boy, uh, which somehow her body can sense, I guess, instinctually, even without recognizing that person as a boy, I guess. And uh, then we also have, like, Arisu, who is, like, uh, another thing to note is that Yoru is, like, a super big fan of Duel Masters. Like, he was in his room all day playing Duel Masters, and Arisu (laughs) also is a super big Duel Masters enthusiast. So they end up meeting one chapter, like, a Duel Masters tournament, and they bond over it, and he wins the competition for when she has to go home early and gets that, like, deluxe deck she wanted uh, to win at the tournament. So, you know, he comes closer with this group of friends that it, of his sisters. And in the most recent chapter, like, uh, Mashiro has kind of stumbled on him fully naked in the bathroom and kind of figured out seemingly like that, oh, no, he is not 
Akane, actually. No, he's actually a boy. And so we'll see how she reacts to that. And, uh, yeah, this one has kind of the typical shenanigans you would expect from, like, gender-bitter scenes with an etchy, harem-y event. So I always kind of roll on my eyes at, like, kind of the exploitative and gratuitous fanshirts moments. Like, you know, wet t-shirts and a lot of TNA uh, exposed threats and compromising situations. And the male protagonist being like, oh my gosh, like, uh, naked women, I'm so nervous around them. <laughs> but I do think, you know, the guy is likable enough. And I think, like, uh, the chap, you know, he there is, like, nice moments of him helping out these girls, you know. So they're likable in that way. And then I think the Dual Master chapter actually was quite sweet in terms of, like, the bond over dual masters and then you know him winning the tournament then going to her place later and giving her the card and that was like one of the only chapters without any fan service moments do so that was also a nice one so you know i think this is pretty uh kind of middle of the road in terms of this premise i've read and know of a lot of these type of stories so you know i can definitely point you to ones that do more interesting things uh in terms of exploring characters cross-dressing that can explore ideas of gender in uh more interesting ways uh but i think that generally the characters are likable enough and the fg is not like the worst i have seen so i think it is a generally a pretty uh fine series with some endearing moments for these characters that i could appreciate yeah i just kind of thought this was fine like i didn't i didn't think it was like super offensive much or anything um yeah it sounds like pd agrees <laughs> okay you can hear him cool um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know. I here's the thing, and I don't know what this says about me. Um, the series is fine and all. Like, I don't have like a whole lot of strong opinions on it. I don't know if I really like the. I, I don't like the setup for the premise. Like, I feel like it's. I, and maybe it's supposed to be comedic. I don't know, but I feel yeah, like it's, it's pretty potentially supposed to be funny. It's like, oh my guess, gosh, yeah. really? This is the way that my sister like kind of knocked herself out. She's like, you know, this free spirited that she fall into this ridiculous accident. But you know, like I care about her. Like she, I know she was trying to motivate and encourage me. So I want to do this for her. I want to help do this thing that she was so proud of her perfect attendance record and help her continue that. So it's, it's meant to be like a flimsy, super funny, uh, farcical premise. So I guess, but the, the, the thing that gets me is that like, okay, your sister's in a coma. Oh no, her perfect attendance record is in jeopardy because now she's in a coma and she clearly can't go to school. I just, I just feel like the leap in logic of like, Oh, I'm going to disguise myself as my sister so that way I can go to school and make sure that she still gets her perfect attendance. And I'm just like, you know, in the real world, <laughs> I normally don't get hung up on stuff like this. But in the real world, I really feel like you should just like you should just let her friends know like, hey, look, my sister's in a coma. She's not coming to school for a while. Like I just I, I the, the setup like really like weirdly bothers me a lot. And I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's contrived, but I mean, you know, in terms of like the logic of like, oh, I want to keep up appearances for my sister. Uh, so on the school's like academic record, it doesn't have like any absences for her because she was so proud of like not her having any absences and never being really late. I do think that, you know, she they could have told the friends like they don't have to keep it a secret for them i think like, now that's like, the direction go all this it's trouble? going to go in like i guess maybe they were worried the friends wouldn't keep a secret and they'd have like some uh opposition or something or they just didn't think about it. i mean it's clearly like he didn't actually know his her friends 
Uh, and of course, like the parents probably didn't know the friends seemingly. So they he didn't know who we'd have to tell uh, and who we could trust to, to keep a secret like that. So like, I'm not super bothered by it. Like I can I can sort of work it out. But obviously the premise, yes, it is contrived. It is not them to be taken that seriously. Yeah. I mean, I will say I am surprised that he kind of got outed so soon. Like I was kind of wondering like, uh, how long they uh, he was going to have to like keep a secret because now obviously Mashiro knows and I at the time we're recording this that's basically where the newest chapter ends is that she finds out that she's not his sister or whatever. Um, I, I am interested in seeing like where it goes from there. Like that the cliffhanger weirdly did kind of get me like oh I kind of I kind of at least want to see like like what happens after this. So I don't yeah, know. I imagine I, now it's going to be a series where like, she's going to help keep that secret. And you know, probably yeah. there's going to be some more awkwardness in there. It, it's sort of, sort of like in, uh, I actually triangle how, uh, Suzu is keeping like Matsuru's the fact that Matsuru is like, Oh, he used to be a boy, like have a boy body, whatever, you know, secret and stuff like that. So I can imagine that kind of uh, things happening. Mm-hmm. I would at least, read another chapter or two to see how that shakes out but otherwise i don't know if i'm like really tripping over myself to like want to read more of this personally like i i think it's just fine i don't know if i would want to keep up with this like you know as new chapters are coming out maybe or even if i'd want to go back and like read multiple volumes of this in one sitting or whatever i don't know i don't know if i'm really i don't know if i really want to read like the rest of this i don't know if i have a lot of interest in it but you know i, I think it's it's fine it's not the it's not the worst gender bender kind of thing I've ever read. I've definitely read one or two other titles that I dislike more than this one for sure. But it's, it's th- this kind of stuff normally just isn't really my thing. I guess I'm really picky when it comes to stuff like this personally. So sure, yeah, I also think that it is pretty middle of the road in terms of this premise, but not unenjoyable in terms of like finding characters to find likable. Yeah, but next we'll talk about kind of the the other like really comedy focused uh, series that was uh, added by uh, Comic Key and that's Thank You Isekai by Arai Aski and Zian Azu and this is the most recent of these uh, titles it came out just last November so it's the closest to being caught up if it isn't already basically the premise of this is two guys in their 30s they met up at a class reunion you know they had a lot of kind of uh unfulfilling work lives and weren't like super like satisfied with their lives. So they kind of bond over their taste in media that they don't usually get to talk about with other people. And then they go to drink at another place and at that place they end up dying uh, absurdly. Like one of them dies of ventricular fibrillation. Like he has a heart condition that gets acted up from his drinking. And then the other guy uh, gets hit by a truck. Uh, it's like the, this, this manga's butt monkey, uh, Shayna, is. Uh, and so they get reincarnated into a fantasy world that's, you know, hot, very attractive girls. Chiba, one of our protagonists, is like a blonde-haired, like, elf babe girl. Uh, and he has, like, the most, he's the most laid back in terms of, like, this reincarnation deal. Uh, and kind of the most adept and adaptable to it. Because he had a lot of survival skills in his previous life. So he's a good fisherman. And he's able to pick up kind of the, the magic skills and system in the world a little more easily because he has some more magic power and so he's able to figure out how to use fireballs and he's also again very resourceful so he can make like soap out of bonfire ash and also other uh invented things 
The other protagonist is Shayna, who, you know, he's the most excited about being reincarnated as a cute girl and super excited to explore the world and stuff. But unfortunately, he, again, seems to be like life's swept monkey because he has zero magic power. He can't, so he can't really use magic. And also, you know, in his big moment where he's like, oh man, I want to be useful. Oh my God, like there's this giant dragon shit next to me, but there looks to be a short sword in it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pull it out. I'm like the sword in the stone is going to be a super cool weapon for me. But it turns out the sword is also kind of worthless. It's like a nameless sword made by a nameless batsmith who is not very good at his job. Uh, he only thing really on his mind was being horny. Uh, before the sword with uh, the sword is pants let's say uh, and so it's the sword itself is like it's tougher than a stick a wooden stick but it's only about a job with a one night stay in a cheap inn so you know unfortunately he is like Bucky, but you know he and Chiba they form a good report and friendship like you know and they they're Chiba's thankful for his company even if he you know doesn't have very good survival skills uh, and so now it's just them trying to figure out how to survive in this fantasy world. And at the end of the most recent chapter that was uploaded, they are getting their first, like, really life-threatening uh, situation in their encounter with a forest arc. So, yeah, I mean, this is just generally a fun comedy reincarnation isekai-type series with art and vibes in terms of humor. Very similar to Delicious in Dungeon, I mm, felt. Okay. And, yeah, I think I appreciated just the, the absurdity of these personalities and how they balance off each other. I think Shayna is a funny, you know, kind of character who gets hoisted by his own experience excitement and literally uh shit on by like but you know he's like a, a kind of an endearing you know type buck monkey character i mean it is a nice relationship between him and jiva and so yeah i think that the characters are very likable i think the comedy is quite funny uh you know a lot of there's a lot of reference comedy but there's also just great gag comedy uh and like just interaction comedy so oh uh, yeah just fun stuff so far so if you like kind of like a, a nice satire parody of isekai tropes and premises i think is a, is a really entertaining one so far yeah not a whole lot i can add there um i thought it was pretty funny um again as someone who hasn't like really delved into a lot of isekai but is like at least aware enough of like if it's trappings or tropes or whatever you want to call it like I thought this was pretty fun. I really love the art for this. Like, it's very expressive, and the line work is, like, really thick in a lot of places, and I don't know, it's just really, like, fun to look at, almost. I think it really accentuates, like, the mood and the comedy a lot, actually. I, I just I just love that, personally. And, uh, I mean, Ch- Chiba pulling the sword out of the dragon shit was kind of the highlight, honestly. That was... Yeah. I was, was, not, ex- I was not expecting that. That that was pretty great. Um, is this getting an anime? I feel like an anime for this was announced, unless I may be thinking of something else. I think you're thinking of something else, because the series just started being published uh, in November. Okay, okay. It's not adapted from anything either, so... Mm, okay. I think this would make a really good anime, if you got the right team on it, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm i trying to think. I, I feel like this is the... Mm, I, I think out of, out, of, out of the four comic-y titles so far, two of these I would continue to read more of. This is one of them, I think. This is a series I would, like, come back to every once in a while and be like, 
Oh, hey, I want to catch up on a few chapters of Thank You, Isekai. Oh, that was pretty funny. And let some more chapters build up for the next time. Like, I I, I could see myself coming back to this eventually. Like, I'm I'm interested in reading more. Like, I, I had a good time with it. Yeah, I definitely would agree. This is a great one to just step in on and just enjoy some of the shenanigans of these two goofballs. And uh, yeah, like, I think, you know, there's a similar series in terms of, like, Especially like two like kind of uh, older uh, adult friends get reincarnated into a fantasy world together, mm-hmm. and then one or both of them gets gender events. Like there are other similar series, like Fantasy Knockout, which recently got an anime, is very similar to this. And that's also a very funny series, and this is also a very funny series. And uh, I don't really expect it to play with a gender in a very interesting way, but I think like you know the comedy of it generally of like these guys trying to survive and failing at it oftentimes or succeeding at it but then causing uh accidental uh, damage uh without realizing is fun oh yeah for sure very enjoyable mm-hmm. actually i want to end off with the other one of these in terms of like these comic key series so i want to go to actually the next the next one i want to talk about is the other isekai uh premise story which is the villainous who became a nightingale by sato and suzuka oda and this is one about also kind of like a 30-year-old who gets isekai'd into another world. This protagonist was like a 30-year-old woman who was like a nurse and working at like a medical institute, you know, teaching there. Uh, but then she like, you know, when she was reading like light novels on her iPad in her bathtub, like kind of uh, the iPad slipped and then she hit her head and she died just that way. And she got reincarnated into a kind of European setting style, like light novel series called I'll be in the doctor and the next like two, which is interesting because this is an interesting iteration on the villainous premise because the protagonist in this one actually gets reincarnated into one of those stories. They reincarnate as a villainous story. One could even call it an isekaiception. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it has this extra meta element of, like, she gets reincarnated in a story where it is about, like, a woman doctor who gets uh, reincarnated as the villainous of this world and solves all the healthcare-related issues in the story and gets her happy ending uh, that way. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting take on that. But the challenge here for our protagonist, who's reincarnated as the original villainess of the story, Lazred, is that she doesn't have, like, a doctor's background. She only has nursing training. So she can't quite do the exact same thing that the protagonist of the original villainous novel did. But she also sees the opportunity as she learns more about the world and what medical achievements and accomplishments have been made in the world to kind of animate different, like, techniques Needs for nursing care and taking care of patients post procedures and stuff. So she kind of realizes, oh, well, there's an opportunity for me to become this world's Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale, of course, being someone who is credited with being the father of modern nursing and nursing techniques. So, yeah, like, she decides to basically perform that role in the society and then work to achieve her good ending uh, that way, rather than the path that the original protagonist who was reincarnated as villainous did. So, yeah, that's uh, kind of how she has gone about it. She's kind of like trying to learn as much as you can about uh, medicine, about like medical achievements in this world. She's trying to get more of an education statistics uh, to help her kind of figure out best practices in terms of most efficient nursing care opportunities. 
And in the process of that, she's kind of run into some of the other characters in the story. Namely, she the big change she has made to the premise of the story is that she saved the life of the first prince, Fars, who in the original story died uh, before the story really began. So she saved his life and in that process attracted the attention of him and his brother, Gilbert. Uh, but at like the big kind of Cinderella-esque uh, ball that she gets invited to, where she also like very Cinderella, she gets like a hairpin that the prince is sent uh, to her in order to identify her at the ball. Uh, she takes it off because she realizes what's up and doesn't necessarily want the responsibilities of becoming a queen uh, and getting that attention on her. But instead, the actual like protagonist uh, of the story, like the heroine who has a similar looking pin, ends up getting noticed by the prince instead. But the second prince I, who identifies her because he actually like recognizes her face, uh, whereas the original prince, you know, being like knocked out and stuff, didn't. Uh, he recognizes her for being the actual person who saved his brother. And in talking with her, like, they kind of decide to make a mutual arrangement to, like, get married. Because, like, she'll have more freedom of being married to the second prince uh, rather than becoming queen if she married the first prince. And she'd get more opportunities freedoms that way. And also, he'd be free from, like, having to go through the rigmarole and nuisances of matchmaking. So they have a marriage of convenience. And that might be interesting uh, in terms of, like, the complications because uh, in the original story, uh, her character is meant to get together with the second prince anyways like he's the original like uh love interest so that's a potential like thing that might be developed later on but she also seemingly has gotten a new suitor potential love interest in her statistics tutor lester who taught her statistics and like kind of immediately after the first session was like so enthralled by working with her that he like proposes her and stuff and that's kind of like where we're at she's like trying to learn more about like medical achievements in this world and i guess more of an education in order to like kind of enact kind of the, the plan, the strategy she drafted up in order to enact kind of big large scale nursing reform in the kingdom. So this follows the tradition of a lot of uh, Isekai stories of late, especially ones focusing on kind of female patterns in which like they come into the world and they see an opportunity to kind of innovate things that are not in this world that will help improve kind of the lives of just the people in these societies, much like how Bookmore is like all about, oh, there are not a lot of like books uh, and literature in this world. So we're going to try and kind of make a, like uh, opportunities to spread that. This is kind of also following in that of like, oh, there's opportunities to make like medical advancements in this world. So I'm going to try and figure out a way to best do that. And in doing that also, you know, with the, you know, hanging threat of like, you know, being labeled originally the villainous story, I need to avoid those like death flags uh, along the way. So I always appreciate the kind of those like kind of takes on the premise of Isekai stories uh, that have like more of a, a kind of a healing transformative bent to what the protagonist is trying to accomplish in the world and yeah i think the protagonist i think she's very fun and likable so far lays red and yeah i would definitely be keen to see like you know it's, it's interesting them just talking about like just the minutiae of like okay well here's like the math behind like kind of figuring out how to calculate a patient's you know length of stay in these hospitals here's like kind of the the format we're going to devise like how to do like the sample testing in order to evaluate from the sample size of different hospitals like you know the length of stay in order to figure out ways to improve the efficiency of like how to improve aftercare at these places to both improve the 
rates of like uh, mortality and less rate of like infections and stuff after surgeries and stuff, but also, you know, uh, be able to make the process more efficient to allow for more patients to be able to be accepted and treated and stuff. So it's, I think the economics, uh, I think the strategy of it is very interesting in terms of like how the protagonist is trying to approach uh, making these large scale head changes in the world. So yeah, it's it's interesting angle on it for sure. Yeah. Uh, hey, another first for Manga Mavericks. Uh, my first reincarnated as a villainous story that I've read. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, I haven't really like delved into this like sub genre of isekai, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, I've been kind of interested in like checking some of these out because I, you know, it, it's a trend that I feel like we've been seeing over the past like couple years now or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've definitely seen my share of these kinds of titles pop up. Clearly, they're very popular uh, and they're kind of like, again, another big isekai subgenre right now. And, you know, I, I've always been interested in like checking one of these out. Um, we, we really need to do like an isekai like grab bag uh, spotlight at some point. Try to get sure. me to read some more isekai. But that's for another time. Um, I guess as far as this goes, I didn't really have like a lot of expectations. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if I have really like a whole lot to say about it. Um, part of the reason I feel like I uh, I weirdly can't get into isekai a lot is because like so much of isekai to me is a lot of like learning the minutia of the world that you're reincarnated in. And I, and I totally get like why that's necessary because, you know, if I was reincarnated into another world, I would want to learn as much about the world as possible so I could survive and live in that new world. So I totally get why that's necessary. But I think I, for me, there needs to be like a good balance. Like if it gets too in the, into the weeds of stuff, kind of like with, say, um, Dungeon Battle Royale we covered on a previous episode. That was definitely a series that like there was more minutia than like character in there. Like like the ratio for me was kind of off where I feel like this is a little more balanced. Like I'm actually interested in seeing how Lesrith, you know, makes her way through this world and kind of has to figure out like the best way for her to survive in this world that doesn't end up with her being executed like the original villainous character. And, you know, I, I also like thinking about it now, I also kind of assumed that like like, you know, villainous stories were also kind of an excuse for, for like, you know, reverse harem stories. And I feel like there's like a little bit of that in here, but it's clearly not like the whole focus, which is good. Um, like, I, I really like seeing that, oh, Lesret, other than just surviving in this world, also like, you know, legitimately wants to do good by this world, because this is clearly a world where like a lot of medical advancements have not been made in this world. And you could literally die because you're not as hygienic as she should be. Like, this is the kind of period that she's in. So I really like the idea of her, like, sitting down and learning, like, okay, how do I make this world better through, like, whatever medical knowledge I can learn? Like, I really like that aspect. I think it makes her a more, like, likable character and a character that I really want to follow. Yeah. No, that's what I appreciate about like stories in the subgenre uh, that take this approach is that like the villainous subgenre already is about the catharsis of like kind of reframing the image of like a character that is originally like victimized in their original story, kind of rehabilitating their image and giving them a new purpose in this world and like a healing purpose in terms of like kind of the community that they get involved in oftentimes. I mean, especially in the case of the original, like uh, reincarnated of a series that kind of inspired this whole subgenre, but also, you know, in the other 
aspect of this about stories that are focusing on characters to get incarnated and they bring skills and they bring awareness of like the real world into the world they're in to kind of help the world around them like that stuff that i also really like that transformative because trying to helping the community aspect helping kind of improve side aspect like uh manga wise you know i was a real big fan of which is printing office uh which is all the same way of like bringing printing techniques into the world and just uh helping publications spread and I also mentioned Bookworm before, which is also a similar angle of like you know, helping uh, the spread of like books and literature and stuff like that. So that's, I think this is a really interesting thing. It's more interesting to like bring in and discuss the minutia of like, oh, here's like like kind of real world like thought processes behind kind of the most efficient ways to approach aftercare or like to figure out the ways to you know improve conditions at hospitals and make sure more patients are treated as a term of stay the patient stay at hospitals is shorter uh and they have more they have less of a chance of like getting like post operation complications so that stuff is like very very interesting more so than like the video game mechanics of uh, the gym battle royale which is like you know all these like superficial like battle systems which can be interesting uh also but like it's not it's like this has more of like a kind of a practical uh and it's more rooted in like kind of uh real things rather than like imaginary uh systems of uh power and stuff like that so you know i i like, appreciate this approach a lot and i think it's a it's a fun execution of it so far but a good and interesting protagonist yeah i do appreciate it i don't know if i would keep up with this as it's you know, being released on Comic Key, um, maybe I'd come back to it. I don't know if it really, like, actually really grabbed me enough. Like, m- maybe when it's completed, I would check it out. But I don't I don't think I would keep up with this, like, as it's running. That's just me, though. Yeah, no, that's fair. But I think it is a wordy one to check out if our discussion of it piqued your justice. And now that brings us to the last of our Comic Key new titles to talk about, and that is After Guard by Anno Sumi, which is quite different from the rest of these because this is more like of a traditional battle horror type manga. The premise of this is that 30 years ago, unidentified life forms uh, started appearing and congregating, especially in Japan. So most of Japan, like half of Japan, has basically become a danger zone. And a lot of people have lost their homes and jobs, really affected the economy and life in Japan. And these creatures are, they are colloquially known as gods. People who see them are like, oh, these are like kind of divine type beings. Uh, But more scientifically, they are considered idolatry prohibited organisms because you can't take pictures of them they won't show up on cameras you can't take photos or video so people hypothesize oh well that might feed into the divine perspective on them because you know one aspect consideration of gods is like oh you know in prevention of idolatry and prevention of worship you cannot reproduce the image of a god so in this way like that might support the idea that they're divine but like scientifically you know there's a big debate between scientific and religious groups in this world about like what these creatures actually are but quickly they're known as gods and we like a main protagonist of the series uh, is a girl who has a real vendetta against the gods uh, her name is waka and basically because the gods you know they very quickly seem to kill like a lot of people who come in contact with them especially like they often is said that they like turned them into like water and they trickle down like uh, her best friend was like just really you know, in a dark place in her life uh, because she was being abused by her maternal grandparents and she had to take care of them. She was obligated to take care of them because her parents were abroad. And so she was like in a really dark place. And while 
browsing suicide message boards like she was turned on to the idea of going to like a god's domain encountering a god and then just getting like killed by them because there was like the idea that oh and in confronting them you're gonna get like this moment of peace and happiness before you die and that was appealing to her under like her really ravaged mental state of suicidal ideation and that's what she did she and it was filmed on video by just someone who was like kind of following her and uh, so it ended up being seen by waka which just really snapped something in her so she went to tokyo uh where the domain of like a lot of guards are to just kind of find the god that killed her friend and also in general just exterminate all the gods but she's more than just a normal like girl because for reasons that have not yet been you know explained fully uh she doesn't even know is that she has her own like godly powers there seems to be a god possessing her and particularly her eyes her eyes have like kind of a triangle pupils so she has to wear sunglasses over them most of the time so as people don't look at them and get entranced because people will look directly at her eyes they get entranced to do like whatever her say and follow like whatever her command are and she loses herself like when she kind of awakens uh, her godly powers like another personality comes out that is not really her which is like especially more evident uh, I think in the Japanese uh, original text uh, because she has a different dialect a different way of speaking uh, when that happens but yeah so she ends up uh, going to Tokyo and she ends up encountering someone who rather than be killed by a god she was also someone in her boat of like going wanting to go to a god and to have them kill the her she instead was offered to become the subordinate of the god instead. So she tries to recruit uh, Waka into helping her kill like a god researcher. But instead, of course, uh, Waka tricks her because she has a huge vendetta against the gods, anyone who would dare to even just support the gods. Uh, so they end with a scuffle. But in the aftermath of that, she's kind of taken by the researcher Tokinaga to basically the institute that is researching the, the gods and developing strategies to combat them. And she's basically given a chance to, you know, train and work for them as like kind of an anti-god weapon to like the veterinary research Shokunaga's like, you know, he com- criticisms and protests. Like he recognizes that Waka, you know, she's a normal girl uh, still, you know, she's just a girl she, and kid. She shouldn't be used and mani- be manipulated by adults to fight because even if she can like, you know, miraculously heal herself from getting like impaled in the face uh, by a, a spike, you know, even if she can recover from harm of that, she shouldn't have to put herself through that kind of hardship. Uh, so there's like this big conflict between, you know, Toka is like, hey, you are just a kid. You shouldn't lose yourself in your vendetta. Uh, that won't make things better. That won't like, you know, killing the gods as pointed out, like, you know, her, your, her friend was in such a dark place that she might've tried to kill herself, even if she didn't know that the gods were out there as an opportunity, as a way to do that. She might've found another better that, like to help her friend, help people who are suffering like that, what really needed to be done was like someone reach out to them and offer them support and like alternative way forward. So like she should, you know, keep those feelings of her that are motivating her in check of like feeling like, oh, it's the God's fault that this has happened. I want to kill the God's dare to blame. And also this idea of like, oh, of her self-blame of like, oh, if only I was stronger to protect her. Like she, you know, in her fight with the department chief of the Institute, who is 
is like a artificial human and I'm a god weapon who is like testing her combat ability. Like he points out to her, you know, you shouldn't think that like you, it was all your fault and it's only up to you to like avenge your friend or help your friend. Like part of like what happened, the reason why it happened is because she didn't have a support network. She didn't, there weren't reliable people uh, in her life uh, besides you. It's much bigger thing than you. She put that, put that, all that responsibility on yourself and lose yourself in the thinking that only you alone uh, can solve this problem or take on this responsibility. So she's getting like kind of mentorship and advice to kind of already at this early stage kind of temper her just blind bloodlust to get rid of gods. But at the same time, there's still the hope and the use of like, oh, she could be someone that could be used to fight against the gods because gods can't be hurt by human weapons. Uh, and so the only strategies are to use people or to develop weapons that could somehow hurt the gods or to develop like human hybrid creatures who have godly powers can fight the gods so that's kind of where it's at is where like after kind of getting this dual advice from both uh Kozuri department chief and Tokinaga uh, she kind of has like awakened like the godly side of her again in the fight and so that's kind of where we left off as she beat uh Kozuru with those powers so it'll be interesting to see like what direction she takes and how she develops uh and what she wants to actually like do in her vendetta against gods like how she wants to like approach you know healing from this traumatic thing in her life and dealing with her grief and her anger uh in a more positive way but also in a way that's helpful in a way in, in addressing like you know the real danger that the gods pose so it's a very interesting series uh even just so far in terms of exploring like these different themes of grief and bloodlust and revenge and also these ideas of like you know worship uh and fate and stuff and it's just so fascinating the world building of also just having this argument out there that's posed in like are these scientific phenomena are these supernatural phenomena and trying to prescribe like what is the reason for these things to exist and potentially thematically that links up to like why does Akane have the powers that she has I mean why do, I mean why does Waka have the powers that she has you know you know and just kind of works through like these ideas so it's, it's dealing with some really interesting kind of a philosophical uh religious exploration in addition to like just this interesting character stuff and it's complemented with some really fantastic action art and horrifying uh monster and horror imagery and very very reminiscent of stuff done by uh fujimoto on chainsaw man yeah as well as a stuff done by uh yuji kaku of ashima and uh, hell's paradise so, oh my god yeah uh so very much in line with the the tone and the themes of those series uh the aesthetic and action of those series so this is a really uh compelling story so far really cool action comic with great world building so far so i'm definitely keen to, to check out even more yeah it, it's funny you mentioned hell's paradise because like the further the series went on and like explaining like how terrifying these gods are and like how far they went and explaining like oh you literally like can't do anything to these beings like enough like the only way to fight a god is like if we create our own basically like like the series really goes out of, out of its way to really explain like okay th these are all the ways that like people have tried to take out these things and like every solution they come up with just doesn't work like yeah I, I thought i thought about jigoku raku or hell's paradise in the sense of like both series are about like facing off against these like supernatural otherworldly beings that like th that just seem literally impossible to like fight or do anything to and you're wondering like how they're gonna fight them
and the otherworldliness and like not just like the intensity of the horror aspect of like how intimidating a lot of the monsters are but also just the element of like oh like these are horrifying creatures but they're also like a beauty to them that entrances people that makes them think of them as divine and for some of these people it gives them comfort upon gazing upon them. so it's dealing with some very interesting ideas there mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't have a lot to add about this series i, I Generally, I really liked it, and I'm probably going to try to keep up with it. This is this is the other comic-y title we're covering on the show today that, like, I think I have the best chance of, like, coming back to pretty soon. Like, I would like to try to keep up with this while it's running, because it is, it is genuinely really interesting, and I really want to see where it goes. Also, Nya Baba is the best character in this series so far. <laughs> Yeah, it was very cute, and I appreciate its uh, Nintendo references. It's a big Nintendo fan. I think my favorite gag was when it, when Tokunaga like interferes with the combat training between Waka and uh, Kozaru, and he enters into the facility. Like he in the in the text also was formatted like it. It's he makes a Smash Bros. reference of like Tokunaga <laughs> enters the fray, and I, that's just very funny. Oh, that was so good. And also when commenting upon like uh, Waka's skin change when like the gop is there, she's like, what is she, a red Yoshi? Which I, <laughs> I appreciate that it's a very nerdy like cat chimera creature. I just appreciate that a series as dark as this does have like a goofy, funny, like puck like character to kind of like, you know, ease the tension a bit and like kind of keep things at least a little light. So it's not just like dark all the time, you know? So yeah, I... I love him. I, I think he's great. Um, I, I love any time he's on screen. Every time he's not on screen, I'm thinking, where's Nia Baba? <laughs> yeah. If I want a plush of your character, then your mascot character has succeeded. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, overall, like it, this is this series is really good so far, and I kind of desperately need the rest of it. Yeah, no, this is certainly, like, I enjoyed Nightingale, I enjoyed Thank You, Isekai, but definitely, I think this is the highlight of it, and the one that I think uh, I'd most recommend, as an interesting title that is doing a lot in terms of its characters, in terms of its world building, uh, and the teams it's exploring, so I definitely, this is one to keep an eye out for. For sure, for sure. Um, overall, even if I didn't, like, have strong feelings on every comic-y title we covered, I I think... All of them at least had something I liked about them, which is good. But yeah, After God definitely is is the one that I think I definitely enjoyed the most and is the one I want to like keep up with the most. Absolutely. But yeah, I think that about does it for all the cyberpuffs we have to cover on this episode. But we'll definitely leave links in the show notes like always for, you know, where people can read these because I, I, I think we at least recommend most of them, you know, um, n- no, no series that I like actively despised, which is good, so... No, I think this was all uh, generally positive uh, impressions of all these different series and general recommendations uh, to take them out if our discussions are interested you. All right. But, uh, Lum, I guess uh, that about does it for the show, uh, unless you have some community shout outs you want to throw at us. Indeed, I do. So we just talked, of course, about the two latest new jump series, the Kanbanashi and Our Child. If you want a different opinion on them, definitely check out Multiversity Manga Club's podcast on February 2022 of Jump. Talking about those series, they were enthusiastic about Kanbanashi and a little negative on our child. Aww. But generally, you know, I enjoy hearing again their 
their perspectives and discussions of Jump Manga. I thought they had some good discussion of those series. Now we also talked about some live action adaptations of anime franchises on this episode. And Yate Studio uh, B did a really great uh, episode reviewing pretty much every pre-2000s live action anime adaptation, which was a really cool video. She did a lot of great research on what titles are you even able to watch. It's interesting because the basically verdict that she gave each of the movies was like watchable or unwatchable or like literally unwatchable. It's because some of these (laughs) movies are like literally you can't find a way to watch them. But yeah, I mean, the whole idea of this is like evaluating how many good life adaptations anime are there? Uh, Are there any that really work and stand out? And what is the history of these adaptations? And so it's a really good idea to go back from the very beginning and just track over basically a span of 40 years in this video, all the different adaptations and how effective they were as adaptations and as just pieces of entertainment. And there were some really cool highlights that I definitely wanted to check out after hearing them discussed. And this is just everything before the 2000s because post 2000s is a huge big proliferation and she said that she might do follow-ups more installments later on if the video gets like 50,000 views right now it's only currently at like 8.6 thousand but I definitely would love to see her continue the project so you know I think if this idea sounds interesting you definitely give it a watch and uh let her know that you want to see her continue it because I definitely found it very entertaining and interesting I definitely want to watch this soon yeah I, th- I think I have it in my watch later queue on YouTube I mean you get to it uh, there was also other great video essays out recently, including, you know, we talked about, you know, uh, some fan series in the sense of the, uh, the Su Cube series. But, you know, there's also been a lot of discussion of, like, what makes good and appealing fan service. And Canva Fact Count did a great video exploring, of like, kind of the art of fan service, the art of making, like, appealing characters and appealing kind of erotic moments in anime. And the ways in which, like, uh, sometimes that falls apart in certain series. So I think it was a really great, uh, thoughtful analysis of just like how the artistry behind actually making a lot of those moments and why like the best of those moments stand out in like a really artful way, as opposed to like kind of the basic kind of a uh, pandering way. So I thought that was a pretty appreciable. Now, another video essay that, you know, we talked about a lot of different manga with a lot of different art styles on this uh, episode. And Lines in Motion did just a fantastic video essay exploring the concept of, like, what style of art is better, uh, which is often discussed, stylized or realistic art. And obviously, you know, the answer depends on the series, depends on uh, context of what a moment is. It depends on, you know, the tone of the story, and what best fits. But, like, you know, they had a really good exploration of why they really like these different types of approaches, why they like realistic art when it is used, why they love stylistic art when it is used, and just like the best uses they've noticed in how they have been employed by artists at the top of their game, evaluating using examples from so many different series. And Lines of Motion's video editing is uh, for manga uh, videos, especially, it's like the best out there on YouTube. It just blew me away just how much work they put into editing and animating panels uh, and just how it really immerses you in the beauty of the art, especially for a video that is meant to emphasize, you know, just the appeal of uh, different art styles and just the beauty of them. I this was a super good job in the editing and pacing of just selling that. And it's just a fantastic, fantastic video essay and discussion on the topic of art in manga and different versions of art in manga. 
And the final video that I want to recommend on this episode is a really, really uh, fun one from Shades, Caribou Coon on Ninku. Often, I mean, series that we, you know, we don't have really officially in many forms here in North America, but it's kind of an important series in terms of like kind of the timeline of Perot's adaptations of Shonen Jump manga between Yu Yu Hakusho to Naruto. I mean, it's sort of a missing link. Obviously, Ninku who is another ninja focused series there's a lot of stylistic things aesthetic things that directly influence naruto both manga and anime but obviously you know with the anime there's a lot of shared creative directors too uh, and approaches but what's really stands out on ninku that changes for us in the video is that ninku is a show that was mostly anime original content really uh mostly was the directors coming up with original stories for the character very few adaptations of the actual manga uh so it was kind of an experiment from perot to like kind of experiment with telling these anime original stories with um characters based on manga which of course they would employ to uh good effect when they needed to come up with original storylines for naruto and bleach and so it's a really interesting perspective on exploring like hey you know this is such a different approach they took with ninku from yu haka show yu haka show you know obviously it made a lot of creative choices and liberties in the manga but mostly uh, it was following the manga storyline for the most part of it uh, without any like anime original like uh stories in the tv show but ninku is a show that was almost all anime original stories as an adaptation of a manga so it was really really interesting kind of almost like training ground and like kind of learning how to write stories based on established characters that would be employed in Naruto. Of course, like Shapes also does talk about the manga a little bit uh, and the hurts of it too and what's interesting about it and its evolutions, which is also interesting and fun to learn about. So yeah, I mean, Ninku is a series that I've always wanted to get more into and learn more about. Obviously, like Same. the manga, there's not uh, much out there in terms of fan translation so you have to like learn japanese to read it but the anime was recently all fan subbed and i definitely oh, okay. after seeing uh shade spotlight the show in his video uh i especially like except certain episodes he called out in spotlight it's like these are really standouts like yeah, i definitely wanted to check out the show when i get a chance because it looks like it is super fantastic looking the entire way through uh and very interestingly and uh, gorgeously animated and directed so absolutely very very interesting video about an underrated series but a kind of an essential series uh an influential series in jump's history i had no idea it was being fan subbed at all and uh now i'm gonna have to go look something up later and i think that will be all the the video essays at least that i'll leave you with today i do want to leave like one podcast recommendation at least uh because tanami's 25th anniversary is coming up uh this week by the time you're listening to this it'll have passed but you know uh, there's a lot of great things to, to celebrate with the 25th anniversary of tanami and there's been some good stuff recently uh to sell celebrated tiny with that namely creative block uh the podcast that specializes in interviewing amateur professionals interviewed jason demarco on their show recently and has career journey in the entertainment animation industry and the development of Tanami, which is a really fantastic and educational interview you know from you know a veteran of the biz you know and of course the Tanami fable podcast is continuing to do great episodes of the show and um they're planning on doing their own like kind of retrospective celebration of the for the 25th anniversary but you know you should listen to their most recent episodes, of course, on Blade Runner, Black Lotus' finale, where they had Grant on to discuss it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, 
thoughts on it on Shenmue. They're doing recaps of it every two episodes. Uh, they did Abyss. They did a check-in of like the first arc of the show. So they've been doing a lot of really great episodes recently. Um, and more recent episode, they talked about the Crunchyroll Funimation merger too, which they had a good discussion on. Similarly related uh, in terms of Tanami stuff, like uh, Laser Kid uh, has been doing great work writing Shenmue reviews uh, for Tanami Faithful. I've always enjoyed uh, reading his reviews on the series. It's like, you know, being a fan of the games for a long time. I definitely wanted to shout that out. And I want to shout out like a video from Captain Christian, which is really a nice mood piece, just reflecting on Blade Runner and Call White Bebop's like mutual co-influence uh, over years, like how you know Cowboy Bebop so obviously influenced by Blade Runner, and then Blade Runner's recent stuff has been so obviously influenced in turn by Cowboy Bebop, and like just the visual parallels Captain Christian is able to draw, and just how he sets you into like the mood and atmosphere of those worlds uh, is just really striking. Uh, the the parallels he's able to find. And also the fact that he was able to hire Steve Wong to read out the iconic in the rain speech at the end of Blade Runner was also just a cherry on the top, just really wonderfully uh, done. And then like the last thing that I'll leave you with is a good video essay from Axel Beast on Vampire Princess that like explored the themes of the show, uh, mainly the themes of like destiny and whether our life's actions are predestined or predetermined and what, what this whole show says about like kind of like our own agency in our lives as opposed to like destiny planning things out for our lives, which I thought was actually a very thoughtful uh, analysis of the themes of the show that I quite appreciated. And so, yeah, just some Toonami-related uh, podcast video for you and reviews for you to check out, to celebrate and uh, reflect on the block in its 25th anniversary. And that's going to do it for my community shout-outs this episode. And, of course, there's so much continuing to be produced by great folks out there that I'll be keen to spotlight in future episodes. But for now, I think we'll close off the show and head out into our wrap-ups. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see you guys next time on our next episode, whatever that may be. Things are always reshuffling because that's how our schedule works. But uh, rest assured, I'm sure the next episode of the podcast will be very, very good, and you can look forward to that. Um, but until then, yeah, let's go ahead and plug our stuff. Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at LumRamiyasha and LumRamiyasha or a variety of places like Amateur Revelation and Annie List and Letterboxd. Or there's a LumRamiyasha that you can find me. You can read my reviews and all that's coming on. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planned to go out, so look forward to more on there. That's also where you can find the other podcast I do, Lum Squad, the Year's After Focus podcast I do with my good friend Andrea C. Yoshimura. We discuss the wonderful and wacky world of Mukunakashi's classic sci-fi company manga Yuzuyatra. We're having a lot of fun covering the manga, a lot of fun covering the anime now that the movies are available on Crunchyroll and coming out on Blu-ray from Discotech. And of course, we are so excited for the new anime that will be coming out later this year. And we have so many plans for the show in terms of what we want to talk about and cover in regards to the series. And we're so excited. And if you're interested in listening to the show and learn more about Yuzuyatra and enjoying some fun, putting weird and weird together and making things even weirder, then definitely check got Lum Squad, and of course you can find that again on uh, Mongoverse.com and also on its own Twitter at Lum Squad, Tumblr, Lum Squad, Pod, that's Tumblr.com. 
and YouTube. Uh, you can search for our channel name, you'll find it. And also we're on pretty much Apple Podcasts and other platforms that you can think of, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and the like. And of course, we also post episodes in the Manga Mavericks uh, feed itself. So yeah, definitely check that out. And if you like the uh, illustrations I do for our podcast, the animations and illustrations I make in general, you can find that on my Instagram at Sarah Burks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Basically, click on the podcast page and you'll find uh, basically a list of whatever podcasts I'm doing, whether that be um, anything I'm currently doing, like Manga Mavericks and Another Day, Another Venture, One Podcast Prevails, or, you know, other stuff I'm not involved in anymore, but still linked to anyway, or even a, a lot of guest spots that I've done over the years. Uh, basically, if you're interested in anything else I do or interested in listening to any other podcasts I've been on, you can find links to those over there at my personal blog, once again, at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. But as for this podcast in particular, you can find every episode over at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks. We're at the $2 tier. You will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast uh, whenever they're edited and before they happen to go up on our main feed. Basically, if we happen to have an episode edited before it's supposed to go up on our main feed, we will put it up on our Patreon first. But also, admittedly, that really depends on our schedule and uh, what we have done at any given time. Basically, if you want more reliable content, you should really sign up for a $5 tier, where over there, we upload at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, you can listen to us talk about uh, the results of our latest Manga Mavericks annual survey. Uh, we basically, you know, went over the results of our latest survey uh, as far as like, you know, what your guys' favorite episodes of the podcast are, uh, which podcast guests have, you been, have been your favorite. You know, and basically go over all the feedback we've gotten from the past year of the podcast. And yeah, basically, if you're interested in what kind of feedback we got, you can go listen to that over there. Um, actually, that podcast in particular, uh, we've made available for a dollar in particular, because those kinds of podcasts we normally put up on our main feed, but we decided to make it Patreon only to kind of make room for other stuff we want to put up on the main feed. So we basically decided to make it a dollar to make sure the paywall isn't like super high on that because we want to make it as available for patrons as possible. Uh, so yeah, basically, if you want to listen to that, that only costs $1. And yeah, I mean, just in general, no matter what tier you sign up for, as we talked about at the top of the show, any support you're willing to give us and are able to give us, you know, it really helps our show. Uh, it's the best way for you guys to support our show. Uh, again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, please subscribe to us if you can and if you want to support the show. Uh, but as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we post different excerpts of the podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Uh, email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what do you think about all the anime news we covered at the top of the show? Um, what do you think about some of the pubs we talked about on the show? Uh, wh which one was your favorite? Um, do you have anything that you're reading that you want us to talk about on the show? Uh, you know what? Email us anything about manga or the podcast. You know, we'll read your email on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. And yeah, uh, again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Please email us. 
Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, including Spotify and whatnot. But yeah, basically, if you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, positive or negative, because uh, we want to use that feedback to make the show uh, as good as possible. Um, but yeah, that's going to be about it for the show. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 193, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 194. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.